We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. NBA trade deadline is tomorrow. Will the Cavs make a move? Will they won't? And there have been a lot of really interesting Cavs takes on the station in the last 48 hours that we want to get to. Yeah. But we did find out that... uh, the one thought on the Browns replacing Bill Callahan is they could just elevate Scott Peters, who was his assistant O-line coach the last four years, as his replacement. Well, that looks like it's not happening now as Scott Peters is going to New England with Alex Van Pelt and a lot of scuttlebutt on those Twitter streets that Andy Dickerson, uh, the one guy they interviewed for the O-line yeah. coach, uh, the formerly of Seattle, he's actually a Browns former assistant offensive line coach back with Eric Mangini in 2009-2010. It sure looks like he's going to be the online coach. And can I just start here? I think I'm going to hate whatever they do. If they, had, if they had bumped up Scott Peters, I'd be like, oh, okay. Yeah, The Apprentice. Cool. That's awesome. That, that might work. If, yeah. they, if they had hired Andy Dickerson, I'd be like, eh, okay. Yeah, he's not Bill Callahan. I think any analysis that I have is it's going just to start not with, Bill Callahan. unless it was Jeff Stoutland, Mike Munchak, Bill Callahan, any analysis was going to start with, he's lesser than the guy that I really like that you just lost for a valid reason, but still you, you lost well, him to I, another I team. I think that's kind of just human nature, right? Like if, think about the Ryan Day conversation down in Columbus. It's constantly, well, he's not Urban Meyer. Like if, if Kalen DeBoer is going to be dealing with that at Alabama. Well, he's not Nick Saban. Like, when you follow somebody who is a legend at their job, and Bill Callahan very much was a legend at his job, uh, it's hard to, you know, replace that person with anything other than the person that you know and feel good about it. So I 100% get that perspective. I think a lot of Browns fans are going to sort of, whoever they hire, if, if it is Andy Dickerson, I feel like it's going to end up being like, okay, I'll wait and see. You know, I'm a little bit nervous about that position now because it's not Bill Callahan. Like the last four years, in a lot of ways, as Browns fans, like we've been spoiled with with the O line because I mean, look at this year, for example. You had like Jerron Christian blocking in a meaningful playoff game and James Hudson, who's usually a turnstile, and for most of the regular season when they played, like they kind of held their own. They were okay. And we all just kind of attributed to well, it was obviously Bill Callahan, so mm-hmm. we're not going to have that luxury anymore, and you, you, we'll see if there's a drop-off, but um, yeah, I'm interested to see kind of where they go from here. I think the Scott Peters move, had it been him, would have been more so just about like continuity. Like, yeah. you've been here for four years, you've seen what he's done, hopefully some of that has rubbed off on you, and you can kind of keep going with it. I think what's actually more interesting is the fact that he's going to join uh, Alex, I almost said Scott Van Pelt. Alex Van Pelt in New England. Any of the Van Pelts. A space, yeah, the whole the whole lot of them. Um, given what we heard from Albert Breer last week, where he sort of alluded to the idea that Alex Van Pelt was very much like a glue guy in the organization, and that's why the Patriots valued him. Well, now he's plucking somebody from Kevin Stefanski's staff to follow him. Yeah, and I think it does give credence to the idea. And there's a little bit for me, I'll believe it when I see it, there is this this does give more credence to the idea that they're tearing everything down to the studs, right? When you lose a Bill Callahan and you don't replace him with his assistant, his apprentice, whatever you want to call Scott Peters, um, and you bring in a new guy, it kind of makes you think, okay, are we changing up the entirety of the the scheme and protection? 
And that that does concern me more than if you had just Isn't that the one out. position group though on the on the offensive side that you like didn't want to yes. have complete turnover yeah. on? Yeah, that would be the one where like I mean they weren't going to move on from Callahan up until it became official that he was yeah. like, "Yeah, I'm going to go join my son." Yeah, like it it just Yes. Exactly what you were saying. It is <laughs> this that's not where I wanted to change things up. That's not where new philosophies I felt like were uh, needed to be introduced and mostly is like your guards are going to be your guards. Wyatt yeah. Teller is a baller. Joel Batonio, when healthy, is a baller. Um, Posick, I, I, I don't know. I think he's more of a really serviceable center. I don't know he's a truly yeah. great center. But, like, let's be 100% honest. The thing that makes us nervous is what does this mean for Dewan Jones and yeah. what does this mean for Jed Wills? Yeah, the development of those two guys, I think, is the big piece missing. Like, you feel good about the internal guys. I mean, you got Joel Batonio as long as he plays, and you got Wyatt Teller, and you feel like, okay, internal – Part of the offensive line is solid. It's the outside guys that you're worried about. And and I think Dewan is one thing because we saw a lot from him, but he's also a fifth-round pick. Fourth-round fourth round pick? I forget. Fourth. Fourth. He's a fourth-round pick, and, like, you don't have high expectations necessarily for him. Uh, we do have some breaking news here. Breaking news on 92.3 The Fan is presented by BetQL, bet smarter by downloading the BetQL app and use Ohio 25 to get 25% off your first month. Keith, what do we got? Uh, Mary Kay Cabot, among other reporters out there, saying the Browns are hiring Seahawks offensive line coach Andy Dickerson to replace Bill Callahan. That's former Seahawks offensive line coach Andy Dickerson. Ooh. We got him? We got AD? Is that what we're calling him? I don't know. Here's the problem. So, it, listen, it actually is nothing against Andy Dickerson, and I – if in the end you're changing how you deploy your offensive linemen to make sure that they are maximized and, and can help maximize Deshaun Watson, it then it's the the righteous change. But when you hired Bill Callahan, he had such a track record in Washington, yeah. in Dallas, in Philadelphia, in I mean in Oakland, Oakland uh, yeah. with the offensive line that they took to the Super Bowl multiple times, that it was like, uh, oh, I don't have to worry about that anymore. It might not be perfect, but over time, that guy's going to get you where you need to go, and that's exactly it what happened. It was a position group you never yeah. had to really think about. With Andy Dickerson, there isn't that. And that's not that doesn't mean he can't coach. It just means it's wildly different than having a guy that, like, when Jed Wills or Jack Conklin or Ethan Posick goes down, you can say, oh, that guy's got it. He might have it, yeah. but you don't know for certain until we're three or four years into this, and... It just, it just brings up more questions than it does answer any questions for the yeah. Browns. I, I think to kind of go back to what I was saying and that, on the heels of now knowing that Andy Dickerson is going to be the guy taking over that role, the development piece is the thing that we're missing. Like We had confidence constantly that no matter who came here uh, through the draft, free agency, whatever, Bill Callahan was generally going to be able to get the most out of that that guy or those guys. Now... You, you don't know what that's going to look like. And, and that's where I think Dewan Jones and Jedrick Wills come into play because, again, Dewan Jones, fourth-round pick, not as high expectations. But 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 Jedrick Wills in particular, like, we're still trying to realize the full potential of Jedrick Wills, who was a first-round pick. And Bill Callahan was trying for four years now to get that out of him, and it seemed like maybe he was starting to turn that corner this year. What is What does his future look like with this team without Bill Callahan's presence? 216-474-0092. So the news is out. Scott Peters heading to New England with Alex Van Pelt. Meanwhile, uh, Andy Dickerson is the new Browns offensive line coach. How do we feel about this, guys? What do you think about this coach? Andy Dickerson will be the Browns offensive line coach. And I believe a lot of people, I speak for a lot of people when I say, 
Who? No, he uh, spent the last <laughs> little bit there. Uh, he was the. You assist- know, it's bad when you can't find his picture in the Imagine camp. Like, there's no pictures of Andy Dickerson in the Imagine USA Today photos mm-hmm. that they have that we use here at the station for all of our, so our what is, stories. What do you use? Just like a a blocking sled? Just a pic- I <laughs> uh, like during COVID when nobody was on the practice field, yeah. they just took pictures of random things yeah. that nobody was using. Like here's here's a here's a fence. From the uh, from the Browns facilities from like 2017 with the orange or orange is that which which we're is using? weird because I even found a picture of Scott Peters but I didn't find like the well, Browns assistant offensive line coach had pictures all right at least one picture I'm not sweating I'm sweating going from Bill Callahan to Andy Dickerson I'm not sweating not going from Scott Peters to Andy Dickerson my point is though Scott Peters is a pretty interesting dude. Like, if you've gone down the rabbit hole of, like, he had his whole uh, UFC training dojo, and he was training guys. Like I know, about this I know one of the is. names was, like, Brock Lesnar. Okay, he's not Bill Callahan. There would be a part of me that's like, all right, that's pretty badass, training those guys. Like, you don't – there's just – okay, there's a lot of bad faith actors in sports. There's a lot of guys who are a little fraudulent that, that are in the NFL, and it's tough to weed those guys out. And – so I just know that a guy that trained Brock Lesnar amongst other people is not going to be one of the fraudulent people. I don't know Andy Dickerson from Adam. So like I just <laughs> I like I I'm hopeful, but like I mean, listen, there are two things here. One of the reasons why I was so hopeful the Browns could keep Bill Callahan wasn't just that he's great. It's that over the next 2 years, they've got a lot of questions that they have to answer yeah. on the O-line. And they start with Will you extend Jedrick Wills? Can anybody get him consistently to be one of the better tackles in the NFL instead of what I think he is? I think he just averages out to be average. I think he's just kind of a, a mid-left tackle. Um, then it is, will, when will you have to replace Joel Batonio? Um, will you give Wyatt Teller a, a second contract here, which I think at this point, with money moving off in the future, if you do a good job of drafting and developing guys, shouldn't be a big of issue. But like, how is is Ethan Posick a guy that's going to start here for an additional five years beyond the last two years he started? Is Dewan Jones a right tackle or left tackle? Those are about five more significant questions than Bill Callahan has really had to deal with. Like, yes, he had to deal with replacing J.C. Treader, but trust in Bill Callahan. Yeah, there were the concerns about Jed Wills, but every time you you bleeped Jed Wills and you screamed at him, you said, well, hey, at least you got Bill Callahan because he's yeah. going to get the most out of that guy. And now I feel like the next two years are going to be overhaul on that offensive line because of age, injuries, and contract situations. And to bring in a guy I have no frame of reference for does all of a sudden make it my biggest concern going forward. It almost felt like – I mean, listen, in some ways you were spoiled. I mean, how many, how many teams can you go to a fan base around the league and be like, hey, who's your offensive line coach? But everybody in Cleveland knew who Bill Callahan was. Like mm-hmm. that that tells you the level of of coach he was, the legend that he was uh among his peers in the NFL at that specific position coach but elsewhere. Um and yeah, like I I think what he brought you was a luxury of knowing no matter what offensive lineman you were bringing in, no matter how many offensive linemen got hurt like we saw this year, you had some confidence that just the way he coached them was going to shine through on the field and you were going to get somewhat decent play from an offensive lineman, even if it was like the fourth or fifth reserve guy. Mm-hmm. And that, that to me is like the ultimate testament to how good of a coach somebody is. Like there's, there's, there's yes. Like everybody at the, at the NFL level is talented to get to that place, but to see 
them get to that place or that level, and then on top of it, there's a coach who can pull even more out of you. Well, that to me is like the highest praise that you can get. So I think now the Browns are losing that luxury, or at least the benefit of the doubt of that luxury, that we can just assume no matter who they bring in, no matter who the reserve tackles are, the reserve guards are, whatever, that they're just going to see instant results. And again, the development part of it, I think, is key here. Now, I the, the one encouraging thing with Dickerson is that it sounds like he's he seems to have a pretty good reputation around the league in that that doesn't mean anything to no, me. Well, Jet, I know I know what you're saying, well, but, but I just the, the league it, is a bunch of right. groupthink and handshaking and backroom deals. I get it. But when we're trying to analyze a guy who clearly we don't know a ton about, like where you weren't following the Seahawks that closely or the Rams before that when he was with them to really know okay, how good of a coach is this guy? We're not there every day to really know how good of a coach he is. But the fact that this offseason cycle, he interviewed with the Browns for for the OC job, even though that might have just been like a preliminary interview in case Callahan left. He interviewed for the Bengals OC job once Brian Callahan left. He he was the top choice based on reporting over the weekend for the New England offensive cor- or sorry offensive line coaching job before they hired Scott Peters today. So it sounds like there was interest elsewhere from other parties, and that at least gives me some some encouragement that maybe there's something to this, and he he is a better coach than we really can vouch for at this point. What becomes your biggest question on the offensive line moving from Callahan to to Andy Dickerson? Like the current offensive line, or you're just saying like in general moving forward? I mean, any one of those things. I think if I'm looking in terms of next year and in the next couple years, I think that the obvious answer is just the development of Jed Wills. Like, He's going into. He's that a fourth-year player, real quick. You keep saying the development. You said it twice now. He's a fourth-year player. Like, what, what's the development of Jed Wills? Like, I just mean finding out if he's worth extending or not. Okay, yeah. which I don't think is going to happen. And I don't. And I think you lose Bill Callahan, you lose almost any hope that that does happen. Mm-hmm. Which maybe that's a blessing in disguise because you can just shift Dewan Jones over. But I think it's the development of those two guys. It's are we going to get a firm answer on on Jed Wills? Is he going to actually turn him into the first-round pick that we've been waiting for him to come in become? And you're right. I'm I'm a, I'm a big bang the drum on if you're in year three or four of a player and you're still asking yourself if they're a good player, you kind of answer your own question. So I agree with you. Like, I think we kind of have a somewhat good picture on on Jed Wills, but I think there were some moments this past year that made me think maybe there's something in there um, that they could rely on long-term. But I think between him and Dewan Jones and just other tackles that come in in the future, other offensive linemen that come in the future, are you going to actually turn them into viable options on your offensive line is, is the big concern for me. I think this because you mentioned well, it just moved Dewand over. Um, I, I don't. I no longer feel comfortable with that move. Um, the only person I would have been there. Okay, there's like three people in the NFL I would have been comfortable watching that transition from Dewan, who's never played left tackle in a game, to to trying to do that at the NFL level. And one of them is Bill Callahan. Yeah. And that doesn't mean Andy Dickerson can't coach again. I'm not just being negative on it for the sake of being negative. It's just now that's a big I don't know. And offensive line is a place that I just think is non-negotiable for I don't know. And and this is this is my it's personal too import, it's too important. Well, my personal opinion is the three things you need to have to win a championship or to consistently be in the running to win a championship. Uh franchise quarterback, which is a no duh. Uh a and then elite trench play, which includes your O-line and your D-line. And you know, right now, San Francisco has two of those three things, but most every year they've had two of those three things or more. You know, Kansas City, the it, the the big jump that they took was when they uh, drafted Trey Smith and Humphreys 
their center and signed a traded for Orlando Brown and made this move and made that move. Like I there's to me, that is just so crucially important. And I feel pretty good. The funny thing is you have more concrete pieces on your O line than you do your D line. But I just look at it and I go, I'm not risking ruining Dewan Jones with a guy I don't know as an O line coach. Yeah. When Bill it's it's almost like you know what it is? It's it's when Bill Callahan said, I think he's a right tackle. I might disagree. I might want to see him on the left side. But if Bill Callahan said it, that's a rubber stamp of approval to me. If Andy Dickerson comes in and says, I can play either spot, I'll go, eh, uh, why are we messing with a good thing? I think that I just think the frame of reference yeah. for the coach. Yeah. And I think that's the, like, guys, there's not a lot of positional coaches I'm going to do that with. Right? Like if a tight end coach says, I think this guy's an inline tight end. I don't think he should be uh, lined up right on the line. Okay. All right. We'll see. But just because of yeah. how important, and I just I said this yesterday. I think Dewan Jones can be an all timer. I think you saw a guy like it's clear that the physical like act Joe of Thomas all timer. I think he could be your best offensive lineman outside of Joe Thomas since 1999. And I okay. just I just anybody who might want to fight back on that, watch what he did against Nick Bosa, uh, four games, five games into his NFL career. Yeah. He owned TJ Watt. He played very well against and, two. The and and though, by the way, those are two very different styles. One's a hand in your dirt guy, 275 pounds, 280 yeah. pounds in Bosa. Watt being that sneaky little bastard. But that about versatility of him yes. to be able to block both is key. I um maybe on some level, I don't want to say losing Bill Callahan's a, a like maybe the silver lining in this in terms of Dewan Jones specifically, like his development. Because I've I've seen a bunch of people write about or talk about this offseason, like, oh, how can we get rid of Jack Conklin? I'm here to tell you, it, it's almost impossible to move that contract this offseason. Whether you trade it, whether you cut him, the cap it is too massive to to be able to sort of move that. So maybe the silver lining in this for Dewan Jones is that you don't have to rush to a decision with him this year. Like he could just almost be your top reserve tackle. Whether- so the guy who's your best tackle is going to be the guy that's going to be your your third string tackle because neither other guy can be moved. Well, you don't want to move him to the op- opposite side because you don't trust Andy Dickerson to make him into a, a front line tackle on that side because you've never seen him play that side before. Mm-hmm. And is he going to jump Jack Conklin and Jack Conklin's just going to not play making as much money as he's playing? I mean, at some point money doesn't matter that much. At some point if it's if the contract And here's the thing, the funny thing is if you rank them and who I trust, I go Dewan Jones, I go Jack Conklin, I go Jed Wills. Yeah, but, I mean you like you trust Jack Conklin but, even coming off an injury. More but the than problem Jed Wills. is you might have three right tackles. Can you move Jack Conklin to to left tackle? Well, nah, I, I, probably not. <laughs> and and yeah, I mean I don't know about Dewan, so it's almost like you have to make the move on Jack because I mean God God bless Jed Wills, but like. I I just don't see anybody moving over that is an absolute that can take over left tackle. So Jed keeps his job, not because he's just deserving default, of it, but because he was the 10th well, pick and, in the draft and, and, and because he's been there the last four and years. And all this leads into why I think they probably will draft somebody at that position again this year. What round to be determined, obviously. But I think that is going to be a high priority for them, understanding that, all right, Bill Callahan's not here anymore to pull whatever we can out of Jed Wills, who was our previous first-round pick at this position. And we don't know if the development of Dewan Jones now gets stunted by him not being here either. So we just need to keep you know, taking bites at the apple and see what we can do and bringing tackles in here. I will say, uh, Wine and Gold on Twitter, uh, at Nick Wilson says, did send us uh, a little bit of a breakdown from Ethan Posick on Andy Dickerson, but he also included a picture of Andy Dickerson 
in Seattle. Uh, it's a nice beard. It's a big guy with a nice beard. So a little bit, uh, now I'm feeling a little bit more comfortable. But I, I think it's less, oh, I don't think this is guy's a good hire. It's just, I think it's more, this guy isn't Bill Callahan. Well, yeah, we, I, we knew what we were getting with Bill Callahan because well, he's, he's a legend. But like the point was, I I think unless it was a guy that people knew, like you might not have but a how many of offensive reference. line coaches do like it, 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 whether it was Mike Munchak, that guy yeah, hasn't coached since 2021. True. I mean, <laughs> you're not, you're not getting Jeff Stoutland out of uh, uh, Philly, but like, that's a name. Chris Forrester. Some people know that name for the wrong reason, but like Chris Forrester <laughs> is a guy that people know. So like, I mean, that's, there are guys out there. There is probably, uh, probably eight guys in the NFL. You would actually know. And, you just happen to get the guy who who right now is not a, a known quantity in these waters. It doesn't mean it's destined to fail. It just means I was already on high alert losing Bill Callahan, and now some of those things that I was willing to try, all of a sudden it's like, ah, DeWan's got to be the right tackle. And if that forces your hand at Conklin and, a, and eating the cap, well, then it looks like you're going to have to do that. We are talking about the Andy Dickerson news. He's the Browns' new offensive line coach, and I think – you know there was there was going to be a showdown at some point this this year in the, with the Cleveland media and and Browns fans about is this the year you have to make a decision on Joe Batonio and Wyatt Teller because you've got two guards making uh, almost forty million dollars and that's not that honestly that shouldn't be that big of a deal but when you consider Miles Garrett's been paid and Denzel's been paid and and you've got a quarterback at two hundred thirty million dollars. It was going to be a, a real conversation of, is this the year you have to make a decision to maybe free up some money to go elsewhere? Some of that is a little manufactured because I think we've seen that the, the salary cap does not matter as much in Cleveland with the Haslams. I do think moving from Callahan to, to, to Andy Dickerson, I don't think you can make that move this year. If you were to look at Joel and say, well, he's at the end of his career – Maybe this is it. You know, we we either renegotiate his deal, maybe we lower that cap hit, or if he wants out, if he still wants his money, like I don't even think you can do that. I think the best thing you can do for a first time, our brand new O line coach, is not mess with any of these variables and just draft guys for him to develop, and that becomes a real conversation next year now. Yeah, I think that's probably the good way to go to ba- go about it. Honestly, like that that's not even a conversation that was really on my radar anyway, because like I don't we don't even know how many more years. Batonio is going to play. That I mean, that question came up on uh, getaway day after the the Texans lost that Sunday. I remember standing there and people were kind of peppering him with questions about like, yeah, we're, you know, how many more years do you think you're going to play? Uh, are do you plan on being back next year? He he just finished a year ten of his career. I mean, especially for an offensive lineman and the beating that they take. And he took a beating this year. He he talked about just the number of injuries that he dealt with. And I know I, this offseason he's been walking around with like the boot on because the ankle injury that he had. Um, like. I, I think that's a legitimate conversation that he's now at the point in his career where I think after every year, he's at least thinking about like, okay, I'm going to give it one more go. And then the next year, it's like, do I want to give it one more? So I, I don't know how many more years you even have, Joe Batonio. So I think he's probably here just till the end of this current contract if, if he wants to be, um, as long as he's still playing at a high level, which he is. Um, and then I think from there, like, then you're only really invested a lot of money in one lineman. And I don't see them necessarily paying Jedrick Wills after this year. So I, I think it's okay to kind of have the setup you have at the moment. I think you and I both agree on paying Jed Wills. I think if you don't draft a guy and develop him, or if you don't draft a guy to challenge him this year, you're going to put yourself in a position that you do one of two things next year. 
You either go in and let him hit free agency, and then you try and find his replacement on the open market, or with that first-round pick, the first one you're going to have for the first time in four years, and that's really, really difficult because you're now drafting for need, and you're going to push somebody up the board. There are a lot of complications with that, or you're going to maybe pay the wrong guy and be in the same situation, or you're going to have to pay an average-ass tackle because you don't have a better chance or yeah. a better choice. Uh, it's, and it's, I think that's the situation. I think that neither of those feel no. appetizing. I think I think that's a risk that they very well could be faced with, um, and it's it's tough. I, I think ultimately they will draft a, a tackle. I, let me just say, too, because we talked about the Jack Conklin deal earlier, there can't be a deal on this roster right now that they regret more. Than that one, and and that's including like Desha- it's not the Deshaun Watson that, well, one. Well, because they still they in their eyes there's still ch- a chance for that deal to work itself out, and they were thinking with that deal, oh, this is going to be a ten year thing with Deshaun because they think he's going to become the quarterback he is. And I know we're going to talk about that later. I think anyway, um, or they they think he's going to become the quarterback he used to be. I should say, um, but I I think the Conklin one is like you you pigeonholed yourself into that so. Before you really even had to, like it was, they they signed it last season when he had like finally a healthy year after being injured the year before. Then he gets hurt again this year, like that's and then Dewan Jones emerges. Uh, like I know hindsight's twenty twenty. I'll give you one better, but that's the deal that I think they want. Back. They they should regret the Jed Wills fifth year option more than they should regret the the Conklin deal, because now you're you're locked into a money uh, to money to a guy guaranteed money to a guy. Yeah, but he, you're not any closer. Yeah, knowing but to the whether, difference is Jed Wills might be gone after this year, and then you just clean your hands of it and you find the next guy. Conklin, after paying him Conklin, fifteen million dollars to be a turnstile, I forget what it is at the top of my head, but Conklin's hat, cap hit even next year if you were to move on from him is still massive. You cap nerds, Joe. Welcome to the show. What you got for us? <laughs> hey guys, yeah, it's a, what a tangled web we weave, huh? Absolutely. Um, <laughs> uh, well, I don't know where to start. Well, I wouldn't worry too much about uh, Dewan Jones with uh, Callahan leaving. He's a very talented guy, and, uh, you know, I, I coached a lot of line play, and this new guy is going to be very excited. He's going to be uh, wanting to prove himself. He, he is a very good coach, and um, I think Dewan Jones, first of all, that giving uh, Conklin that deal was might might have been actually worse than, might be the worst deal. The guy, that guy ah. is made out of paper mache. Yeah, that's He's also in hindsight, you. though. You didn't have a replacement for him, and I think we saw this year I, I, you weren't going to put James I Hudson there. No, I know, but the guy you can't extend a guy. Look at it, it's just like it's just like um, uh, what's his name Ward in the secondary. I'm, they got to move that contract. I don't care how good he is. You got to move that. That's that, that's constipating the whole money flow on the defense. But my real call is about uh, Jedrick Wills. Jedrick Wills is not a talent problem. It's not a not knowing what to do problem. That is, a, I guess I'll call it an attitude problem. Or he's soft or he's something. The guy plays one and a half seconds a play and then turns around and watches the play. That's what he does. That's exactly what he does. And I don't know how, you know, wh- wh- whether Bill Callahan's there whether whatever coach is there, uh, to me that's a head coaching thing. Or somebody's got to say, "Hey, you're supposed to block until the whistle blows." And this guy, if he does, he's not engaged with somebody, he doesn't go help anybody out. If he's engaged with somebody, it's for one and a half seconds, and that's his time limit. 
It's not, he doesn't take, you know, he, he's, he's, he's not a gamer. He's not a baller. Okay. And that's where we're getting, getting, not getting our value or we're not getting the money out of that guy. Okay. He knows what he, that guy played for Alabama. You think he did that there? So for some reason at the pro level, we cannot get him out of that. Now, I don't know if we're all too PC and they cannot, you know, talk to him the way he needs to be talked to. Judging by what I've heard about Bill him, Callahan, Bill Callahan is not PC. <laughs> oh, I've never, I've never no. met well, a PC O-line coach, just for the record well, here. That, that, right. Well, then for some reason, I guess because he has a union, he feels he's doing, he's doing political. the bare minimum he has to do. All right, Joe, we, you know, we got we got to run because I want to I want to respond to what you're saying. It seemed like Joe was just trying to slowly but yeah. surely like uh, figure out a way to take it from a sports conversation yeah. to See, and this why the pro- we shouldn't be voting for maybe, so-and-so candidates. Maybe with Jed Wills, it's the problem is Bud Light. Those right? damn maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and Shane um, Gillis. Yeah, yeah he... I, listen, I think we can all agree Jed Wills could really benefit from cancel culture. That'd be a, would have been a hell of a 180 at the end of the call. Um, so here's so you, here's you and I were were kind of going back and forth, and it's kind of and Joe kind of got into the middle of the the J- Jack Conklin versus Jed Wills thing. I I can't fault a guy who plays hard and plays well, but it gets injured, and I never understood that. Oh, I don't like that guy because he gets injured. And I, I I understand the cliche is the best availability is yeah. uh, or sorry the best ability is availability. Uh, no, I'll take somebody who plays hard, and that to me is why. Like my two biggest questions on this O line now are Dewan Jones and Jed Wills because Dewan Jones the question was effort coming out of the school or coming out of school. The one thing I knew I didn't have to worry about with Bill Callahan was making sure that he was going to get guys to give effort. And now I have a left tackle who you've got making, what, $15 million guaranteed this year, going into a contract year, like if all of a sudden his, his are, are we going to play for four seconds? Are we going to play to the end of the whistle stuff? Now it's even more concerning because this dude hasn't done it. A lot of people are used with to playing for four seconds. Of, hey, hey, it's valid, all right? <laughs> you can get a lot done in four seconds. I've been saying that for a while. It's not about but, how long. It's about what you do in that four seconds. Keep telling ourselves that. <laughs> but the, the Jed Wills thing, like now I got a guy who I don't know about Andy Dickerson in terms of accountability and pushing guys, and that becomes the, the big concern. There is a bit of news. Apparently, there is somebody in Las Vegas that is climbing the sphere. If you haven't seen the sphere, it's the giant – uh, dome that has the uh, the video on the outside, and so they'll like they'll like do like an eyeball, or they like do all these kind of different tributes. And uh, honestly, I think without the uh, without the miracle of pharmaceutical invention, it it really doesn't do much for me. I would imagine I if you're I in Vegas, I think it's the stupidest thing. Why? It's it's like see, well, you and I are saying this as sober people. <laughs> If you're in Vegas and everything's just a little bit legal, I think you might feel different. But you like, mean climbing the sphere? Are you, no, no, I'm saying no, the sphere no, in general no, is no, I seems know, stupid yeah, to me. No, no, we are in a complete agreement. Like climbing the, the sphere is stupid. There's no, there's no way you can paint that as anything other than a bad drug trip or just flat, flat out stupid. My point is, you are not going to understand the real wow factor. If you're sober and you're not up on the thing, you're watching a video in Ohio. It just feels like the sphere is like the peak of like American gluttony of just like, oh, what's the biggest thing that we can put screens on? And everyone, like we just get so, we're like, you go through the section at Walmart and there's all these TVs and you're like, 
Oh, that one's bigger than mine. What is our obsession with screens? Who cares that this building has a massive screen and it's just like projecting random things out there, like I, the helmet of the Chiefs or the helmet of the 49ers? I don't care. I think you need to take more drugs. Care. I think that's the reality here. By the way, did you just every go t- Every by time. Way, let me ask you. Now I got to know. How big a TV you have? Uh, that was bad English. I for- How big of a TV do you have? Is, I guess <laughs> I forget really- what our, our our living room TV is. Our biggest one. I forget what it is. It's probably some in the range of like fifty five, sixty. Okay, so clearly that. you care about screen size. I mean, I I want a bigger screen for like that room. I don't need like the biggest screen though. Like that's never been my thing. It's sixty inch TV. Thing. That's a big ass TV. I think it's fifty. I don't know. Whatever. I so mean, I, are I, you a sizist? Are you out here saying because <laughs> I don't have a seventy-five inch TV? That, are you are you shaming no, people just, with bigger TVs? I, I listen. If you have a big screen TV for your house, it makes sense. But why do we care that it's on like the side of a? What is the point of that? You're you're driving around because it's also inside. It's the same reason why I think the screen on top of Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse is stupid. Who's looking at that? Who's looking at the screen the, on top the, of Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse? The Goodyear blimp. And also, I don't think that's oh, a one-for-one one comparison. Every, like, 17 times the Some, Goodyear blimp is in downtown Cleveland for something a year? Something E.T. and the Goodyear blimp can see is not the same thing as something you can see at any point in Las Vegas. I mean, everything looks better on a bigger screen. That is fair. Also, it's supposed to be, like, the ultra-high resolution, like, the, the best possible but resolution now. what is the now. point? Like, what are you watching on there? Uh, and it's usually like they put smiley faces on there, and they put like like what you're just sitting there watching the screen change. You like get your bet, you you get your fold up chair, and you're sitting outside with your popcorn. And you're like, oh, what are they going to put up on the screen next hour? You're okay, just what's the it difference happen? between that and the Eiffel Tower? It's just a tower. Like the my, my point is, it's kind of just there to be a landmark. At least this, you can change what it's going to look like. You can do cool stuff with it. And by the way, the, the point is, is like the inside. The, yeah. but the, the outside is not the point. The inside is the point. The difference is, like, the Eiffel Tower has, like, a lot of historical rel- relevance. In, well, one in, day in, this one will. Yeah. 200 years from now, your the, the, take is going to look like The world will not crap. exist in 200 years from now because of Good. things like the sphere that are killing okay, us. Okay, Tyree. <laughs> Good Lord. Yes, How many please. times do we have to teach you this lesson, old man? Also, like, I've heard that the tickets are like astronomical for that thing. Just because you're paying uh, James Dolan just to go sit inside a sphere that literally, once you're in there, it means nothing to you. Did you become Jeff Phelps? Is there something? <laughs> is that the this chair shit, that Phelps yeah, sits I, in? I didn't swap out you the chairs. You became the oldest man in this building because you're missing the point. The point is you go inside the sphere and it's unparalleled technology and then you take the drugs and then your mind really goes out there. <laughs> Do they give you drugs when you walk in? That no, that's not the price of admission. But I, I but the assumption is if you're going to see you too in uh, Do they kick in, you out because it's a James Dolan thing if you uh talk bad about James Dolan like they do at Madison Square Garden? I don't think that's no, no. I think um no, I don't even no, that has nothing to do with this. No. You 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 uh, you take a little ayahuasca, you take some wask, you do a little shrooms, you go in, you watch your U two. I think uh uh, oh, the Grateful Dead's gonna be there. There's like a the seven day something. Yeah, the Dead and Company yeah. thing. Yeah, the, the, the assumption there is you're gonna get loaded on something and your mind's gonna be blown. So I I feel like you're I being just, very I just, dismissive. I, I just don't care. See, okay, now <laughs> early in the show. Uh, and to be clear, I don't really care about the Eiffel Tower either. If I'm being honest, like whatever. What about the Statue of Liberty? Uh, what up? Take it or leave it. Send it back to France. Yeah, the, that, <laughs> the single greatest. Uh, um, I almost said symptom. The single greatest signal of freedom and American pride in history is a little, little too green for my liking. Um, so we started the show with uh, celebrating Meredith Kane, celebrating National uh, Girls and Women in Sports Day with Meredith saying, can you guys Venmo me five bucks each? 
which I thought was brilliant. And now I think we need to get a GoFundMe going to send your ass to the sphere. But but it's 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 a it's a, a round know, trip to to Vegas. It's a ticket to the sphere, and also maybe like five hundred bucks for some for some good good. So you can truly you're gonna that come money back. will not go to what you think it'll go to. That'll go to paying for other. Like I need to get a new car at some point. It's just gonna end up being a car payment. I, so I did not go. I did not see that turn. <laughs> when you said when we talked about Las Vegas, you said that money's not where you think it's going. I'm like Spencer, your wife might be listening I know, right I meant now. I like none of the money. Like I won't even make it to Vegas because I'll just yeah. pocket the money. There'll be a scandal. We'll be like, oh, we raised the money for this thing. Well, uh, I didn't ask you to raise the money. I just took the money. We got Fedor <laughs> coming up in about 15 minutes here. 216-474-0092. I would like to know. Um, do you agree with Spencer on the sphere in Las Vegas? Because that's not where the show is going to go. But your dismissive <laughs> and ridicule of the sphere, in my opinion, a little rich for my blood. Like you can't, you have to be at least a little, a little curious about it. The idea no. of ah, it's just a big screen. I think you might be underselling it just a little bit. It is a, it's a, it's a whole thing. And it's become like it's become. I feel like in society, it's. Be- we get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Come what LeBron James has become for SportsCenter, where, like, if LeBron James is, wa- is eating a peanut butter sandwich, walking around the streets of L.A., they're like, oh, LeBron, he's in the streets of L.A. eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And it's the same thing with the Sphere. Every time. Oh, the new- Sphere is eating a peanut no, no, no. butter and jelly sandwich. <laughs> Every time they put something new on the Sphere, it's on my, so- my it's on my timeline. Like, oh, today they're projecting a smiley face on the Sphere. And today they're uh, showing Nick Wilson on the Sphere. Like, I don't care. I don't care what goes on the Sphere every day. Dennis, Dennis on Twitter. Y'all crazy. That sphere is cool AF in person. I also, somebody recently, uh, I don't remember what I was listening to. Somebody recently said that it was kind of lackluster in person. Like they were like, it's not as, it's not as like, as All right. that was a bad analogy as... of LeBron with a peanut butter sandwich. Now we're just anonymously sourcing no, no, opinions no. you can't remember. <laughs> like, ah, yeah, this was no, a guy. The analogy was that. And it was like the guy that grabbed, uh, bags your groceries. At at, uh, at GE, that's the guy that told the you point, the, sp- the, the sphere wasn't working. The point of the analogy it. was that, like, anytime LeBron does something, sports centers reporting on it. The analogy is not the problem. The and, entire and, take <laughs> is the problem. The, the, you've, the fact that you've then led to ah, it was somebody, somebody could be it was LeBron James hates the sphere, or it could be like the guy that uh, that that gave you like a five dollar so, coupon to join the Levitard show because they went out there for Vegas this week and I think I was listening to the show earlier in the week and they said that it was I think awesome. you have to pinpoint your 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 source a little bit better I'll find Somebody, I'll figure out who like, on the show said there's 50 people yes, in the Levitard show on the Levitard like, show ah it was the guy that uh he's the uh, janitor on the Levitard show said I'll ah, vet it and figure out who him. said it I'll let you know um, I'll get back to you now that we get to that a little late in the conversation. We do have Fedor coming up in about 15 minutes. We'll ask his thoughts about the sphere. Um, he was on with John and Peter Lynn last night and had a had a pretty interesting take about Donovan Mitchell and the importance of Donovan Mitchell to the Cavs and, and kind of just 
why maybe Donovan doesn't have the traction in town he deserves. Like, this is a guy who, since coming into the NBA, has never missed the playoffs. So it is clear that his style and the way that he approaches the game, it translates to winning. Like, this is a guy who elevates teams. This is a guy who elevates teammates. And I just don't understand why this city just hasn't wrapped their arms around him and embraced him to the level that they have with other guys that have come through here. So I'm approaching this at my own peril here, given the take on the sphere here. I'm curious, do you agree with Fedor that Cleveland has not embraced Donovan Mitchell the way they may may have other players. Just like the sphere, Donovan Mitchell. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> totally kidding. And Donovan Mitchell's just like LeBron eating a peanut butter sandwich. <laughs> no, I, I honestly, I, I think that 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 stance honestly could sort of be used in terms of how we feel about Donovan Mitchell. I think in this town, like if Donovan Mitchell was walking down the street eating eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, I don't think enough people would care about that here in Cleveland, which is interesting. But where, um, but I just my point is before we get fully into it. Yeah. Where's anybody gauging this on? Like, I see Donovan Mitchell jerseys everywhere. Yeah. I, I like I, I see anytime you talk about Donovan Mitchell and his future on like social media, it becomes a full blown brouhaha. I, I think I think the problem is that pretty much from like the moment he got here, the assumption and the reporting around his name from national pundits and insiders who who have the information has just always been well, he th- like even, think about it. Even when he first came here, it was like, well, he thought he was going to the Knicks, and then as the months kind of went on last year, it was, well, he still wants to get to the Knicks one day. And then in the off season, he didn't sign the extension, which, by the way, was actually probably the right move for him because he would have cost him. So he 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 is it benefits him more to sign this summer and make more money than it would have last summer. Um, but the conversation became full fledged, like, well, if he doesn't commit now, then yeah, they better trade him. And so I think because of all that, that people have kind of just embraced this. Almost in the same way as like the Deshaun Watson deal, like this is a business transaction. This is the Cavs trying to go get a superstar, bring him in, and see if it, they can parlay it into a championship run and what it means, and if they can have success. And if he and they're kind of just bracing for him to leave at some point. And so I think that's why he hasn't maybe had as much support or there hasn't been as much fanfare. But you, to your point though, like you're talking about a guy who dropped seventy points in a game. Like nobody else in Cavs history had done that before. Well, but like I just I I guess my thing is so I'm still kind of wrapping my head around the idea that Cleveland hasn't embraced Donovan. And and obviously we got feeds coming up here in the next segment, so I can ask him directly. But like I I don't see how we haven't. Like I I think in spite of everything you've said, in spite of. Um, Donovan's uh, future in spite of uh, uh, him being a guy you drafted and developed versus a guy like Darius. Two years ago, when I first got back to Cleveland, I made the mistake of saying at the time I would have traded Darius for Donovan if that's what it took to get Donovan Mitchell here. And honestly, it was an uncomfortable next week after that because I pissed off a lot of people that take. Two years later, I think I have more people agreeing with the take, I'm not saying I necessarily have the take, but that it'd be better for the Cavs going forward if Donovan stayed and you were able to deal Darius for a guy that is perfectly, like fits perfectly with with Donovan as a three and D player on the wing. So like that's how much this has changed in two years. That's mm-hmm. one way I've looked at. Two years ago, we're not saying that. We're saying, well, well, why don't you just go ahead and get the piece that that fits with Darius instead of making that trade? That's what's interesting about the situation right now is until you have commitment from Donovan that he's willing to stick around, 
you can't really move anybody else because if Donovan leaves, you kind of need Darius to be the 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 point guard, the centerpiece offensively that you're sort of building around and everyone else is kind of off of him. So that's what I think makes it really interesting is that the predicament they're in right now, until they have a firm answer on Donovan, they can't really do anything else. In that last segment, Spencer, we had played the clip of Chris Fedor talking about um, Donovan Mitchell, how phenomenal he's been in Cleveland, and the fact that, to this point, Cavs fans have not embraced Donovan Mitchell like other, maybe, I don't even know if he's talking about just elite Cavs or just other Cavs players. And I'm, I'm curious who he's, like, comparing it to as well because, like, we can't compare anybody in the embracement of that, that player with, uh, like, a guy like LeBron. So is it more Kevin Love? Because I... I think it took a long time for Kevin Love to get accepted by Cleveland fans. He was always kind of the odd man out of the trio. Well, it didn't help that LeBron like undermined him from the start with the whole try fit fitting in, fit in instead of yeah. fitting out tweet. And yeah. like I think people then were like, "Oh, this Kevin Love guy, he just he's he's not going to work out here." We need a thirty for thirty on Kevin Love's time in Cleveland. And, it was a roller coaster ride. I mean, and then like at then there was the, the oh rejoice he resigned. Oh wait, he's not worth his contract, and it's an immovable contract. He sucks. We hate him. And then, oh wait, he's he's embraced this new role. And then it's like, ah, uh, he had a falling out with the Cavs. I don't really like. It ended on the biggest <laughs> what the hell ever. Like what changed ever? Um, oh, we kind of forgot the point where he became one of like the leading players in the NBA in helping, being open and honest with mental yeah. health and kind yeah. of. So like I one day I want just my Kevin Love in Cleveland thirty for thirty. That's all I. I also for. say too, whenever there's like a big three situation going on, the third guy always gets the shaft in terms of. It was Bosch. Yeah, it was Bosch in, yeah. in Miami. Everyone thought like he was the weak link, making fun of him all the time. This guy doesn't fit with this group, so it's always the third guy. So uh, we're gonna welcome in the third guy. As the ho- or sorry, as the guest That's now. That's a good way to bring him in. Say yeah, the third guy mattered yeah. the least in these big threes, and then we're welcoming him in Chris. Well, as the no, third in this guy. scenario, he becomes my Kyrie, and you become my Kevin Love. Oh, okay. Chris Fedor. I get demoted. I got it. On the well, for your sphere <laughs> takes on the North Homestead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. Fedor, what's up, buddy? What's going on, guys? How are you? Good. Oh, doing well. So we played uh, an, an answer of you uh, talking about Donovan and and why and asking the question why Cleveland hasn't bought more in on Donovan, uh, despite yeah. the um, um, immense amount of stuff he's done with JP last night. I'm just curious, like, because I I had not considered that. So this is not a sarcastic question. It's not, but like, what evidence do we have, or wh- where can we look to find how maybe Cleveland hasn't embraced Donovan in that way? I just get it all the time from readers that, that ask me questions via Hey Chris or on X, formerly Twitter. Um, and I know that's not the best representation, obviously, of this, but, but I also think it's reflected in the all-star voting. I mean, Cleveland is a city. Cleveland is a fan base that got freaking Peyton Hillis on the cover of Madden when he had no business being on that cover, when he wasn't anything close to one of the best players in the entire NFL which is usually what Madden covers are reserved for, that caliber player. And they got him on the cover of Madden, and they couldn't get Donovan Mitchell in the All-Star game. I I just don't understand why Donovan, the player, is not more popular around the country, and I don't understand, like, why he hasn't been fully embraced by this fan base. I I wonder if part of it has to do with the fact that people are just resigned to the fact that he's going to leave for New York at some point in his career. That was what I was going to kind of ask next because it feels like ever since he got here, um, 
even you know the moment the trade happens, it was all the reporting. Yeah. Of, well, he thought he was going to the Knicks. He ends up in Cleveland. So I don't know. I guess I kind of feel like that's the reason. But is is that kind of the sense that you get that it's just fans kind of being cautiously optimistic about wanting to believe that somebody other than LeBron would stay here for a long period of time? I mean, I guess it's possible. Anything's possible. But things change so quickly in the NBA. And, and what is one year is not necessarily what it's going to be the next year or the next year. Um, I mean, people change destinations in the NBA, and then some people stay in the NBA. It's just no way to predict what's going to happen. So I've always looked at this as a situation, even with Donovan, or even when it was Kyrie or LeBron, whoever it may be, just enjoy the ride while these guys are here. There's no guarantee that they're going to stay, but if they do stay, then it just becomes all that much more exciting. And since Donovan arrived here in Cleveland, he has done nothing but go completely all in on this organization um, and in this community as well. Like he helped recruit Max Struess and George Niang this past offseason. He organized player team workouts this offseason. Um, so he has done everything um, that he possibly can to ingrain himself into this community and into this franchise since coming over from the Utah Jazz. And I just don't know what anybody else could want from Donovan um, on the court from a basketball standpoint or off the court um, in terms of how he has embraced this city and this community and this franchise. Chris, I think given um, where the Cavs are right now, all by their lonesome as the two seed in the East, you know, that mm -hmm. started to open up questions about, well, maybe a deeper run of the playoffs is possible. Let's say, let, I'm just going to give you a direct hypothetical. Uh, the uh, Cavs make the Eastern Conference Finals, and it's very competitive, but they, they top out there. Does that okay. increase the chances significantly that Donovan would stay long-term or sign an extension this offseason? Yeah, I definitely think that that's a possibility. And I definitely think that that's something that Donovan is looking at. And I think it's something that he cares about. Um, the sense that I get in getting to know Donovan the way that I have over the last year and a half is that he wants to win. He is at a stage in his career as a basketball player where he feels like he should be competing for NBA championships. And he wants a place where he can compete for NBA championships for multiple years. And he wants to believe in the roster. He wants to believe in the organization. Um, he wants to believe in his teammates, that they're at the same level and they're ready to give him the thing that is missing from his resume, ultimately. Right? He's a multi-time all-star. Um, he is one of the most prolific scorers in the entire NBA. But the thing that people hold against Donovan, the basketball player, is that he has never been past the second round in his entire career. Despite the fact that he's gotten to the playoffs every year that he's been in the NBA, he's never gotten out of the second round. And he's being outplayed by some guys who aren't viewed in the same light as Donovan when he gets to the playoffs, Jalen Brunson being one of those guys. So that's the next step for Donovan in his career. He understands that. That's the reputation that he's trying to change. And I think he'll be looking for the place that gives him the best chance to be a champion. And if the Cavs can find a way to make a run to the Eastern Conference Finals and show that Darius Garland is ready to win at that level and Evan Mobley is ready to win at that level and he's got the teammates around him that can make him compete for those championships, I do think that's something that's going to resonate with Donovan because there has to be enough of a basketball-related reason for him um, 
to, to determine where it is he wants to play his basketball next. Like, yeah, there's the New York thing. I think a lot of people understand that Donovan loves New York. He's from New York. He spends time in New York. Maybe it's just a situation where he wants to be a member of the New York Knicks before his career finishes. But there has to be enough of a basketball-related reason. And if the Cavs can show that they can go farther than the Knicks and they can compete with the top teams in the Eastern Conference, then there wouldn't be any reason for him to leave that behind, at least not right now. Chris Fedor, Cleveland.com, joining us on the North Olmstead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. Uh, this trade deadline for the Cavs' uh, perspective is interesting, Chris, because we know during the LeBron years there was always a lot of pressure to add and, and make the team better. And then even when he left, it felt like there was always big rumors for the Cavs, like, oh, is Kevin Love going to be on the block and all these different things. But this year, given how the team's playing, they've won 14 of 15, they're on this great run, they're, they kind of, in a way, got guys back in a trade deadline way with, with Garland and, and Mobley kind of getting back into the rotation here, and there's a chance for them to get better just from that naturally. It doesn't feel like they have to make any moves tomorrow, so what are, what are you expecting them to do? Should it be a quiet trade deadline for the Cavs? I think that's the way to put it, guys. Oftentimes, an organization's deadline approach is born out of necessity or desperation. Sometimes it's born um, out of like what you actually have to offer and whether that fits the players that are actually out there on the market. But the Cavs are in a situation, and I'm not sitting here saying that they're the Boston Celtics, right? They're on that level, or they're the Los Angeles Clippers or the Denver Nuggets or something like that. Um, but this is one of the best teams in the NBA, and they don't need to fix this roster. Um, sure. Could they go out and add a 3 and D wing? Sure. Play some defense, shoot the ball, score a little bit, give you some insurance at the back end of your rotation. I could understand why the Cavs would explore that, and they are exploring that possibility. Could they add a little bit more beef in the front court just in case um, you know Tristan Thompson doesn't come back as the same kind of player following his 25-game suspension? Um, do they want somebody who can play more of those center minutes as opposed to Evan Mobley um, just until mid-March when Tristan comes off of his suspension? Sure, I could see that. Do they want a more reliable backup point guard so they don't have to use Donovan Mitchell as the backup point guard or Karis LeVert as the backup point guard or lean on 23-year-old undrafted rookie Craig Porter Jr.? Yeah, I could see that as well. And I think if the opportunity presents itself where the Cavs can improve their roster, the back end of their rotation, without giving up much of value, then I think they'll explore that all the way up until the buzzer. Um, but they don't need anything. Um, it's hard enough for J.B. Bickerstaff to find consistent minutes for Sam Merrill, who belongs in this rotation. It's hard enough for J.B. Bickerstaff, when fully healthy, for Dean Wade to get the kind of playing time that he has earned and he probably deserves based on the two-way impact that he has made for this team in the absence of Evan Mobley. So there are teams out there that the complexion of their season probably changes based on what they do at the trade deadline. Um, Milwaukee comes to mind, the Philadelphia 76ers, and whether they can find somebody to fill in for Joel Embiid and get them into the playoffs where he comes back and maybe he makes an impact. The Los Angeles Lakers need to do something. Um, the New York Knicks probably need a boost from their bench because it's one of the worst benches in the NBA, and it got weakened when they traded for OG Ananobi. But the Cavs aren't in that same kind of situation. The weaknesses that they had exposed in the first-round playoff series against New York, 
those were addressed in the offseason, and there are reasons to believe that there's internal growth that's going to happen with this group when they have more time together, when they figure some things out, how to play with each other, find different lineups and combinations that work. All of those things can still happen for the Cavs um, in the second half of the regular season, making them a better team going into the playoffs without actually having to make a move at the trade deadline. So I think it's going to be quiet tomorrow. As a follow-up, Chris, because Isaac Okoro has been one of the names that's kind of floated in rumors of, of a player they could potentially move tomorrow. Mm-hmm. If he's not moved, does Cleveland still intend to attempt to retain him this summer and give him an extension, or has his play recently maybe priced him out because we know Cleveland's trying to avoid going into the tax? The Cavs understand that restricted free agency benefits them in this kind of situation. It protects teams like this, and I had a source tell me earlier this morning that the Cavs' plan is to have Isaac Okoro back this summer um, mm. to find a deal that works for them and for him. Um, he wants to be here. He loves it here. The Cavs like him. They value him. They've invested in him. He's obviously their best point-of-attack defender. So the Cavs' plan is to bring him back this summer. Chris, looking elsewhere, uh, have you seen the sphere in, in Las Vegas up uh, close? Here we go. Up close? Yeah. No, I've seen it on TV. Okay, so just in general, do you think it's overrated? I don't I don't have a full understanding of what it is, but I think it's really, really cool, and I don't know how people rate it to begin with. Mm. Yeah, it, like especially if like they haven't seen it up close. Is that, is that yeah. kind of – okay, yeah. I, yeah. I just That's a little show thing there. Um, we also found <laughs> out or, or have heard of a proposed ESPN Fox – Warner Brothers sports streaming service, and this has been dumped on by a lot of sports fans. I'm just curious whether you think it's a good idea. In what way? Meaning, like, is this? Do you think this helps the sports fan enjoy sports more if it's all going to be consolidated on one app? Like, I think the more you can bring sports fans to their phone <laughs> and get them away from their TV. This generation of sports fan, I think it's a positive thing. Um, I, I don't know that people have a problem with, okay, is it on this app? Is it on that app? Is it on this app? Is it on that app? I think as long as it's on an app and it's attached to a phone, I think this generation of sports fans, they're going to be able to find it. Chris, we appreciate you. We appreciate your correct take on the sphere. And a uh, happy deadline, bud. Oh, <laughs> it's always nice to be on the right side of an argument. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know what it's like to it's be on the wrong side. It's all a matter of perspective. Yeah, it's a lot better perspective. <laughs> uh, you, you should give me your LeBron James peanut butter sandwich analogy off air. Fedor, great stuff, buddy. Appreciate you. You got to guess. Anytime. Thanks, Chris. Chris Fedor on the North Homestead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. When it comes to what Chris said, there's a part of me that says, like, Okay, I can see that. Like, I, like there is a part of it. Like, we've gone from JB trusts seven dudes in this rotation to now JB's. Oh, he, he joked the other night. He was like, I don't really like going higher than nine, yeah. but basically these guys have all earned it, so I kind of have to go to ten. Yeah, and so now JB's learning on the opposite side what it's like to kind of juggle too, too many great players. I don't like that as a reason, though, to not approach something at the deadline. I I think some of what we're saying about this team is because of how well they're playing. And I think it's I think good organizations understand the difference between uh 14 of 15 and where your real needs lie. And they they do have two real needs. 
they have a, a, a serious need at backup center because uh, who knows what Tristan's going to give you. I mean, it was a miracle the minutes Tristan gave you when Evan Mobley was out the first well, time. Now we know why. Well, I mean, we can speculate. <laughs> but, like, so I do think you need a legitimate backup center. Yeah. And and the worst-case scenario is Tristan's buried on your bench, which at this point, what's it, the best availability? The best ability is availability. The second thing is you can't tell me they don't need somebody on the wing. Mm-hmm. And I know that that's probably more of a long-term fix. At some point, you're going to have to say, well, can Isaac truly be a starter? Can any of these guys be a starter? Or are we going to have to deal from our from our core four to get that guy? But I just think you you should always be open to the perfect move. I'm sure the Cavs are when it comes to wings, but like, I don't want to look at this and say, well, they've won 14 of 15 because, guys, they could lose three of four and our pers- or a bit an injury could happen, and our perspective on this thing could change very quickly. I'm, like, so torn on what the Cavs should do tomorrow because you're right. I, like, I, I can't sit here. On one hand, I think about what other teams are going to do, and I got a feeling the Celtics are going to try to add. I got a feeling the Bucks are going to try to add, and those are teams you're directly competing with. So it's like, well, I kind of want you to do something that might make you better. But then you think about the assets that they have at their disposal and what they'd have to give up, and you're like, is is there really a move you can make that makes you substantially better? And that's where it's hard because, I, like, I'm not trying to get lost in the sauce on the 14 to 15, and yeah, they're on this great run, so it's just going to keep going. Like, I recognize that these this can be fleeting. Like, they could lose six in a row starting tomorrow or, or tonight rather, and it could all go downhill. So you just never know. But I I think. This is one of the first years where I'm not imploring them to go do something either because I almost do feel like without a trade, their big move is getting Mobley and Garland back in this new way that they're playing. So that's that's kind of the thing. Like those two are out, and this new style that they talked about trying to do became their reality and their identity. And now it's almost like, okay, now that you know this is working, where do those two guys slot in? How can you maximize them? to get the most out of this team. So if they do stand pat, I'm going to be fine. But if they don't stand pat and then the Bucks go out and make this big swing, I'm going to be like, well, damn, what, what, do, we, what do you do now? Well, but you don't have I, – I, I really – it irks me a little bit when teams use the, well, but it's like we made a trade because we got Evan and Darius back. No, it's not. Um, yes, those guys weren't here previously. And, yes, it is a challenge to work them back in. It's, it's, but that doesn't yeah. mean that that changes your need. And like if Evan, if Evan gets hurt again – or if uh, uh, J.A. gets hurt, Jared uh, Allen gets hurt, you're going to need yeah. somebody that can give you 25 minutes, and that's tough to find for a team like Cleveland on the buyout market, anybody of quality. So I guess my point is there's not one move that I say you have to make. Yeah. And I'm okay if you say to me, well, we're going to stand pat. But in two weeks, if things have slowed down I, or if somebody gets hurt, I don't want to hear the excuse of, well, we didn't anticipate this. Okay, then you didn't do your job. You got fooled by by winning 14 to 15. It doesn't mean it's yeah. going to happen, but I just think really smart organizations are always ahead of the curve, and it seems like the Cavs are far too reactionary for a small market team that is facing an uphill yeah. climb to truly be a top two seed in the Eastern Conference. I and, and I don't want to get lost in the the cliche, the coach cliche I use of well, they it's like, it's almost like they made a trade because I I agree with you. Like I think that's kind of a silly thing that when when teams say that. For me, it's just more so they 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 now have this new style that they're playing with. It, like they're they're almost in the worst case scenario for the trade deadline to be, because 
if this was still Mobley and Garland weren't playing and the team was still str- was struggling, they hadn't won all the games that they won, then you'd be like, okay, they got to make a move. If they were struggling with those guys right back integrated, it'd be obvious they have to make a move. You're still sort of in the middle of that. And so it's not clear and obvious that they should make a move in, in relation to this year. Because when you make a move at the deadline, it's generally about this year. So that that's why I think it's a hard dilemma, and it's different than what we've seen in the past, where usually they're linked to something, whether it was when LeBron was here, whether it was when Kevin Love was here, and there was always like, they're ready to make some big move if they need to. This year, that's not the case. Are you guys okay if the Cavs don't make a move by the deadline tomorrow? We have uh, a lot of Browns news, a lot of Cavs news. Tomorrow, the NBA trade deadline, the big Browns news. Scott Peters, the former assistant O-line coach here, headed with Alex Van Pelt to uh, to Boston to be the Patriots O-line coach. Also, T.C. McCartney was hired as their quarterback's coach. Yep, yep. I, we're, we're waiting to see if Stump Mitchell ends up there or where Stump might end up, but... Uh, That means uh, the Browns needed a new O-line coach, and that they got. As Andy Dickerson, uh, formerly of Seattle, he actually was an assistant O-line coach back in 2009 and 2010 here in Cleveland. He's the man that replaces Bill Callahan. And, of course, with that news going on, we've had all sorts of interesting comments come out of Super Bowl Radio Row, the NFL's first night. So we got Super Bowl 58 to get to. So we got plenty to get to on today's show and uh, we'll probably start with Super Bowl 58, where where Pat Mahomes did acknowledge the other day that people are perceiving him as a villain, which I think is really I don't funny. Why? Um, it's because they win a lot. It has nothing to do with Pat. Well, and maybe a little bit of his family background because yeah. people don't like them. Yeah, but when people start attacking your family, that's because they because <laughs> you're Teflon, right? Like that was always the thing about Andy Reid. They always talked about legal trouble his his yeah. sons had had. Um, and honestly, I just, it's a part of me that gets really uncomfortable when we, when you have sports hate for a person and it transfers to personal hatred of their family, that feels a little icky to me. Like if somebody if didn't it, like what me, about what if Tristan Thompson was with the Kardashian family, that was, um, I don't think anybody hated him for that. I think, I think most no, people like dapped him, him up. That's true. Not hated him. No, but no. I'm just not the biggest fan of the family that he was associated with. You, yeah, well, but I think the point is, I think that's about uh, a family that seems to care more about um, being famous for being famous than actually adding anything to the society. Yes. So that's less about uh, double T there and more about the uh, the Kardashians. <laughs> but uh, on example. the line is Odyssey NFL insider Ross Tucker. Insider calls brought to you by Old Spice. Men have skin too. This guy has more jobs than Seacrest. I got to do American Idol. He's an Ivy League alum and a cheap plug pro. You want to make sure all of your great listeners start worrying about following at Ross Tucker NFL. It's Odyssey NFL insider Ross Tucker. And Ross now appears on the North Homestead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram hotline. Welcome back to the show, bud. What's up, dude? How are you? Doing very well. Always great to have you. Pat Mahomes talked about this earlier this week. Are the Chiefs the new villain of the NFL? And if not, is is that what's one of the things riding on this game on Sunday? I don't think they are the new villain yet. I mean, you know, they're the team that wins a lot, the people aren't happy about, but they don't sort of have the uh, the other stuff that the Patriots had along with it that made them more of a villain. You know, Bill Belichick came across as a jerk. And people seem to like Andy Reid. Uh, I don't know how people felt about Brady, but I think Mahomes, for the most part, like with the dad bod thing, is pretty likable, actually. 
Um, and then, you know, I, they haven't had the other stuff. And they still have had a lot of success, but not quite Patriot success yet. So uh, I think maybe he was feeling that because the opening night, there were a lot more Niners fans there than there were Chiefs fans. So maybe he's taking that to mean that the, like, neutral fans feel that way. But I don't really think that that's the case. I I think uh, there was just a lot more people that were 49ers fans at the game because it's out here in Vegas. Can I can I just I just have to object. I'm not letting Pat Mahomes body be referred to as dad bod. All right. What would you what would you call it? I have a dad bod. Okay. Uh Ross, you have a dad bod. Uh Pat Mahomes just doesn't have a six pack. Can we agree like calling that a dad bod <laughs> is very dismissive of all the actual dad bods out there, including my own. So what 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 I'm troubled by is you putting me and, and yourself in the same category. That's fair. That's uh, fair. I don't think you've seen me in a while, but I would say that I don't think, based on the last time I saw you, that we should be in the same category. Okay, that got real personal. And so now <laughs> I'm hurt. I'm hurt, and I feel like I was just body shamed a little I, bit. I was I was trying to build a bridge there, and you nuked it. But I understand your point, and it probably is valid. Yeah, I mean. I don't know. There's just no, uh, yeah. And, and by the way, <laughs> there was a little dad bod there. Right? I think it did make him likable, you know? I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> Ross, uh, between the villain narrative with Mahomes, Brock Purdy trying to, I guess, find relevancy, uh, Kyle Shanahan going for his first ring, Andy Reid trying to win another one, the the Travis Kelsey, Taylor Swift stuff, what? Even it, that's that's just kind of the off the field stuff. But even on the field, what is maybe your favorite storyline or narrative going into this matchup for Super Bowl Fifty Eight? Yeah, and I'm not this guy. I, I'm, I'm really not. But um, I think the most interesting aspect of it is is the quarterbacks, and in particular, you know, if the Chiefs win this, they're definitely a dynasty. I know I've been on before with Nick where we've debated what you have to do to to be considered a dynasty. But if the Chiefs are able to win this, I think they're unquestionably a dynasty, right? I mean, three Super Bowl victories in five years, four appearances, five straight conference championship games, they're a dynasty. So there's a lot at stake there, and there's a lot at stake for you know people believing that Mahomes is on the same path, on the same level as Tom Brady. I mean, that's really where we're at with it at this point with the start to the career he's had. And then meanwhile, for Brock Purdy, I would just absolutely love, like love, if he won the Super Bowl. Because I am, I really hate like what I think are lazy narratives. I really hate what I believe is draftism. Now, I think it's fair to note, I don't think he's played his best in the, in the playoffs so far. And that's obviously a, a negative, but I still think uh, he's a very good player who had an awesome season and I would love to see him win it. And, you know, the only thing I don't like about Brock Purdy is that he got drafted. I know he's Mr. Irrelevant, but he still got drafted. I don't like anybody that's ever been drafted. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm team undrafted for Asian. It would be better for us if he was actually repping us by not being drafted at all. On paper, uh, to me, this Super Bowl looks one, a lot more one-sided than I think people are talking about. How evenly matched do you think these two teams are? Yeah, I mean, I think the Chiefs are clearly the better team. 
I think that if they played 10 times on Sunday, that the Chiefs would win seven or eight. I find it stunning that the 49ers are favored in the game. Although I, you know, I do that betting podcast, Nick, Even Money podcast, nice. and I had a professional sports better on there. And he was the one that told me, you know, the line is all based on the entire body of work. And it's based on the power ratings compared to an average team. So based on, you know, the 19 games the 49ers have played, they're considered to be nine points better than an average team. And based on the 20 games the Chiefs have played, they're considered to be six and a half points better than the average team. And so that's how you arrive at the Niners being favored by two and a half at the start until people started betting on the Chiefs. To me, that's crazy. I mean, we got to go a little bit by what we've seen in the playoffs, right? And what we've seen in the playoffs is Chiefs have been the better team, including at Buffalo and at Baltimore, whereas, you know, for the Niners, they're very, very fortunate that they were able to win the games that they were able to win, and that's all that matters and whatever. But I think I, I can't understand how anybody could watch what they have seen in the playoffs and say they think the 49ers are better than the Chiefs right now. Like, how can you say that? I don't think you can. Yeah, I don't think so either. I think you're right. Ross Tucker joining us on the North Olmsted Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram hotline. Ross, pivoting to the Browns here a little bit. Nick and I, right when the show started, got the breaking news that the Browns were hiring Andy Dickerson to take over for Bill Callahan. We certainly don't know enough about Andy Dickerson, but do you have any background or knowledge as to who the Browns are getting in their new offensive line coach? So first of all, Nick, how do you feel about Spencer stealing your whole big North Olmstead line right there? Um, I'll allow it this once. Uh, okay. well, technically, I mean, technically you've allowed it twice because I did it with Chris too. So. Well, now you're fired. Now get the <laughs> hell off my show. Uh, because, that, I mean, you're known, Nick, for – saying that and for saying Deshaun's name as often as you possibly can. Deshaun Watson? So I didn't know if you how you felt about Spencer stealing one of your two uh, trademark lines. Um, you know, I don't know anything about Andy Dickerson. Uh, I, I don't. I think, I'll tell you what I think is interesting about it. I said this with the guys a couple weeks ago. I thought the Browns should have asked the Titans for a draft pick on Bill Callahan, and I still feel that way. Mm. I think it's a very, very important position. If he wants to be with his son, totally understandable, totally get it. This is professional football. This is not like, oh, okay, well, your son's in seventh grade and he's on that little league team. Okay, well, he can be a, you, you can be the – no, what are we talking about here? He was under contract with the Browns. The Browns should have gotten some type of draft pick. That smells to me – like one of those where the owners don't want to set the precedent of having a position coach ever be traded for a draft choice. But I don't care. I, I wouldn't have not have let Bill Callahan just go. He's under contract. I would have tried to get some compensation. And I do think it's interesting that evidently they did not want Scott Peters, who I think is signed with New England instead. Yeah. That's interesting because I think Peters had been there with Callahan for a couple of years. And yet, I don't know, based on whatever it is that the Browns saw, they felt like going outside of the organization would be better than promoting 
promoting him. Insider Calls brought to you by Old Spice Men's Blend Body Wash. Man, you and these reads today. The Gentlemen's Blend Body Wash, (laughs) providing exfoliation plus 24-7 moisturization because men have skin too. Ross on the North Olmstead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. Reestablish my dominance there. Uh, One to ten. How confident are you Deshaun Watson will, not can, but will be a top ten quarterback again? You said scale one to ten? Yes, sir. Ten being the greatest amount of confidence, one being the least. Two? Would you like me to expound upon that? I would like you to expound upon that. Oh, yeah. You asked a question that deserved a number, so I gave it to you. Uh, No, I, I, um, I don't have a lot. I mean, even if you told me he would be 100% healthy for the whole season, I think it would be debatable. But coming off of two different throwing arm injuries, I, I would say not very confident. And it might happen. You know, I mean, like uh, I said, I think the Chiefs would beat the Niners seven or eight times out of ten. Well, maybe it's one of the other two or three, and maybe Deshaun Watson does it, but I don't, I don't envision it. Ross, to go back to the offensive line conversation here for a second and, and understanding the context of like none of us really have a great background on who Andy Dickerson is or how great of a coach he is, just how big of a loss – can you kind of put into words like how big of a loss Bill Callahan is for this team and what it means for the future of that offensive line room? Because to this point, and Nick and I talked about this earlier, like you could put anybody out there and you at least knew Bill Callahan was going to – if they were uh, – on a scale of one to 10, like a one offensive lineman, you knew he was going to raise them to like a three because he's just that good of a coach. So just talk about the impact of that, I guess, and um, what it means for the future of, of that group developing down the line. This is like a 500-word yeah, assignment I, you're giving him. You gave him like four <laughs> prompts there. Which one do you want him to answer, man? No, you know what? I get it. The thought on Bill Callahan, and, the, and, and I would say it's a significant loss. And I think next year... We don't know what game it'll be yet, but there'll be a game where the offensive line does not play well and they struggle in a certain area, and you guys will be saying, oh, man, we should have uh, – that was the Callahan game. And there might be more than one, to be honest with you. I, I happen to believe that it is a really, really big deal. I, I think I'm going to write a column soon about the fact that I believe that position coaches are way, way more important than people realize and that they don't get the credit they're due. There's a reason why they get paid what they do. You know, offensive line coaches now get paid, you know, some of those guys get paid, I think, a couple million bucks. It's unbelievable because they know how valuable it is. Ross, one of the big uh, reports out there is the current value of former Jets starter, Zach Wilson is a sixth or a seventh. That's the most they could get for him. So should backup quarterback needy teams uh, like the Browns uh, be willing to pay a sixth or seventh to bring in Zach Wilson to be their backups? Absolutely not. No way. Why, Why would you give up any draft choice for him? And why would you, why would you give up any draft choice for him? And then, He's, his contract's fully guaranteed for this year. I wouldn't want to be paying him anything like that either. 
I mean, no. For what? No. You need so, so that if Deshaun gets hurt again, Zach Wilson to the rescue? Yeah, right. No, thank you. Ross, to get you out of here, the Las Vegas sphere, is it the eighth wonder of the world or is it overrated? Ooh, that's a good question. Mm. I think it's pretty darn awesome. I redeem I myself. Mean, that, that's, such a, that's such a typical radio host question. Like, is it the greatest <laughs> thing ever or the worst thing of all time? <laughs> it's, uh, it's neither, but it certainly is closer to being the eighth wonder of the world than it is to being overrated, I would say. Spencer, why don't you tell Ross your opinion on the sphere? I just think it's it's just a whole bunch of hoopla. Like, it's just a giant screen on a circular building. And and, and I don't know. I, I think we make too big of a deal out of it. People are, every time there's a new image on there, whether it's a smiley face or a Chiefs helmet, it shows up on my Twitter feed. I just, I, I don't care about the sphere. I just don't. Ross, thoughts? I think it's really, really cool. And that's also someone who's never seen it in person, which makes it even more impressive. Mm. Ross? That's exactly what I was looking for because that gives me a complete and total win about the sphere. Still looking for people on my side. Mac, yeah, keep Mac. looking. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe go to the dark web. There's uh, 4chan. There's a lot of places you could look for people to agree with you. Find the Reddit page on sphere haters, the Las Vegas sphere haters. Uh, it's, a, it's a big conspiracy. Ross, great stuff, buddy. Appreciate you. Thanks, Ross. Absolutely. See you, dude. Later, dudes. Ross Tucker there. That was Odyssey NFL Insider. Ross Tucker Insider calls are brought to you by Old Spice. Men have skin, too. Ross in the North Homestead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. The Deshaun conversation, there's been a little bit of hedging there. When we use things like can, I, I just, let's just go ahead and hardline it. Deshaun Watson will be a top 10 quarterback again. I do want to get into that here in a minute with Spencer, but uh, Bill O'Brien could be on his way out in Columbus already. There is a significant name that is apparently already in place if Bill O'Brien goes to Boston College to be the head coach. That name was mentioned on the latest episode of Sons of the Shoe with myself and Spencer German. Follow the Sons of the Shoe on 92throughthefan.com, the free Odyssey app, wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, so on and so forth. We'll get to that name as well at some point in today's show. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think two is criminally low. I think, too, is recency bias. And Ross did make it about the health side of things, yeah. which I think is the fair part of this. But I just, I think it's, I think saying two is, to me, two is, uh, can the Browns win the Super Bowl next year? To me, two is, um, will is, is Kevin Stefanski, as a play caller, suddenly going to be the greatest coach in the, the NFL? No, he's just going to be a little bit freed up to do other things. He's still going to be Kevin Stefanski. Like this idea that, or, or can Brock Purdy become a better quarterback than than Pat Mahomes? <laughs> That'd be a one. But like, I just think I'm cool being somewhere in the middle range. Yeah. I, I think that makes sense. But I just, I'll go back to it. I think a lot of this is recency bias. And I think a lot of the narratives, conversations under Sean have just got to a point where we're kind of building encampments and recruiting members to join us over here. Well, uh, can I ask this? How long, like, what is what constitutes recency bias? Because on some level, like, I get saying this past year he didn't look great, year before that he didn't look great, but this guy hasn't played football now in basically four years. So, like, if, if you're talking about recency bias, like, if we can't, if, we, if we're looking at a four-year span, I think that's a little bit longer than just what we see right in front of us right now. Well, but I think they're all interlinked. 
I because again, I just think you're not going to get any. Don't cry for me, Argentina for Deshaun. You're not no. you're not going to get people to be sympathetic or give the guy a break, considering why he was out for 700 days. So I, I'm not saying that's why Ross said that, yeah. but like initially it was well, he hasn't played football for 700 days. Of course he's not going to do it. And then they moved the goalpost to be well, he, those six games were awful. So clearly. Uh, he's not going to be good again. And then this year it was, well, okay, he played better, but he still wasn't a $230 million man, and um, now he can't stay healthy. So I, I just think it's I think it's the convenient answer. It doesn't mean it's not the right answer, by the way, Spencer. I just think it's a yeah. convenient answer that lacks any depth or nuance to where maybe the, the, the goalpost should yeah. be moved. I mean, I was surprised he said too, because I think Ross has been on before with you and said, you know, seven or eight. Like, I think he had confidence even a year ago this time that Deshaun was going to get back to being that quarterback. I would, I, I'm kind of with you where I, I'm in the middle on it. I would, here's what I would say. I would say last year, like Ross, I think I was on the higher end of that spectrum. I was probably thinking like, all right, eight or seven or eight. Like I have confidence that this guy's going to get back to being the quarterback that he, or close to the quarterback that he was. And it's going to, it's going to work wonders for this Browns offense. Mm -hmm. I think after this year and, throwing in the context of there's this injury. I'm not going all the way down to two and saying he'll never get back there, but I now am more in like the cautious, the cautiously optimistic um, range of this conversation. And I, for me, which is by the way, just for, cause we're going to keep it on the number scale. Like probably five and a half. No, 5. Not, no, you get, you gotta be, it's got uh, just five, five. There, just there five. we go. Okay. All right. Not no continue. Um, but I, for me, I think the injury or the health part of this is the the bigger that's the bigger problem for me mm -hmm. because I, I like I've tried to go look up uh throughout sports history and not just football like other sports a player who's come back from this injury that he's had and there's not a lot of examples of of players who've had this injury so it's hard to know exactly what you're going to get. And I understand, like, it could all go well, and you got doctors saying, like, oh, it's it's a procedure that happens, and we do it, and he shouldn't have any issues. But if you don't have, like, concrete examples of other players coming back from this, how can we fully know that he's going to just be the same guy? And the other part of it that's scary is that it was in his throwing shoulder. Like, well, with, with but, Baker's shoulder issue, it was the other shoulder. This is his throwing shoulder. But, like, I guess my, my point is there was a time where Miami Dolphins' doctor said – don't sign Drew Brees. He tore his rotator cuff. We don't have any evidence of guys coming back from that and being the same. And a guy in that like similar window was Chad Pennington, whose career was completely halved, and his career as a starter was halved because of that same injury. Yeah. yeah. So like that was a scenario of well, we don't have uh, a lot of evidence of somebody coming back from this. So there's there's always evidence. The problem with evidence is you choose the evidence you want. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so there's but, evidence okay, of for, you can come back from a torn rotator cuff, and there's evidence right. that you can't. So, like, the idea that you don't have evidence, well, okay, but how many times have we mentioned glenoid injuries in sports in general? Like, that's I, what I mean, though, because, like, I, I think I'm not saying that the, the, my point isn't that because we don't have examples of it, that you should be at a two with Ross. My point is just if somebody's telling me, and I feel this way, that they're, they're unsure of if he's going to be able to come back from this because we don't know, and that has them more in like the five range of like, well, I don't know. Can he still be the same quarterback? I'm not going to fault you on that. And, and, and I mean, you bring up all these examples. Like when Tommy John was first a thing, there wasn't actual ways to really fix that. Like they, it's taken years and years and years to a point now where, I mean, even like 10 years ago when a guy had Tommy John, you almost thought, oh, that's a kiss of death for their career. But I think Now all of a just... sudden it's like, 
oh, you can come back from Tommy John and be a great pitcher. Almost every pitcher, I feel like, has Tommy John now. But I think we've turned the glenoid into the rotator cuff. I think we've turned the glenoid into the elbow for pitchers in 1965. Like, the reality is, it's okay to say, I don't know. And I don't know does breed uncertainty in this exercise we're talking about. But, like, the shoulder is a concern going forward until you see him consistently throw the ball with some sort of force because it wasn't like the guy had a howitzer in the first place like Cam Newton. But Cam Newton had a, a frayed rotator cuff. Cam Newton, it was in that yeah. that that ligament, in that, that shoulder, and that's what ended his career because people have made that comparison. Right. So, like, to me, it's, it's more nebulous injury concerns, and that's more to do with Deshaun's style of play and not making the right decisions. But, like... I think the number one reason why you should be more confident than Ross is too out of a, a one to ten scale that Deshaun will not can throw that maybe that throw that that language out of there because it's riding the fence. My the reason why you should be more confident than a two that that Ross had that Deshaun will be a top ten quarterback again is because the Browns are no longer half assing it, and the Browns have. And I played yesterday on the show. Uh, Kevin Stefanski from a year ago, and I played Kevin Stefanski from this year, talking about what they have to do around Deshaun, and there was zero difference. The difference this year is they've overhauled the staff. The difference this year is that there are no more excuses. And if you don't, if Deshaun is healthy, big if, complete fair Yeah, but if. how can you also trust them? I understand new offensive coordinator, different perspective, blah, 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 blah. But how can we also trust them that this is this is not, now it's going to work this time? Because they told us the exact same thing last year. That's last fair. year was but we're now, building the offense around Deshaun. We got all these great ideas. I'm sitting down with Deshaun in the offseason. We're working through some things, and he's telling me what he likes and didn't like. Apparently, he didn't com, uh, communicate to him that he doesn't like scripted plays because they kept doing those. Apparently, but you know and that how? came out this year because this year uh, they took on Stefanski's side of the ball. They fired one of his closest assistants. And if you believe the Albert Breer reports, which I do because Albert's plugged in, they reached down and basically used Alex Van Pelt as a scapegoat to go ahead and get the attention of Kevin Stefanski. When they fire your offensive coordinator and you're the the head offensive coach, when they help you make that decision, force you make that decision, whatever it is, that's them saying that, I mean, he's a sacrificial lamb. It is, hey, do you know who's next on the depth chart if you don't get that right, if you don't get it right with Deshaun Watson? I think some of that is necessary because Kevin has half-assed it. And I don't – listen, I think Kevin's a great head coach. I re, I'm Sorry, great head coach. I don't know what great head coach means. That's nebulous. But I do think Kevin is, is a really fine coach. I'm excited to see if he can grow into being more than that. I'm excited to see if they can win consistently. I'm really confident as a head coach he can help you do that. But as a OC, as a play caller, he has been stubborn. And it has been about scheduled throws, well, scripted plays. It has been about turning your back to the defense. And those are the things that don't work for Deshaun. And you knew that in Houston. Well, see, but this is where you get into the conversation then about whether you trust Kevin Stefanski or Ken Dorsey more. And that's the other problem I have is that I feel I would feel better about Kevin Stefanski calling the shots on offense than I would Ken Dorsey, you just mean based the guy, on what I know about him coming from Buffalo. You mean the guy who forced Deshaun into a system that didn't fit Deshaun? That's the guy. Because again, I'm not. I'm just. Well, I'm just saying okay. what it is. Well, you want to go there? Then we'll go to an even bigger scale on this, which is why did they ever bring in Deshaun to pair with a coach that they weren't going to work well together? I think that's a totally fair question, but I think there has been stubbornness. And and listen, it could be stubbornness. It could also be Kevin knowing how to win one way. 
And so whether whether it was the the front office and and uh, Jimmy Haslam reaching down to do something that does feel dysfunctional, which is to fire a coach from out uh, out from under the head coach on his side of the ball, or whether it was Kevin making the decision, they've half-assed it. Look at the offense two years ago. Then this last offseason, we were promised a whole new offense. Never happened. Never happened. And and you can't just blame it on the injuries because you had multiple opportunities. And by the way, it's not just on Kevin. It was on uh, Andrew Barry for bringing in Marquise Goodwins, who, who was on his last leg as a wide receiver, and Elijah Moore, who was a, a reclamation project, and saying, look, we fixed the wide receiver spot only for that not to happen. Yeah. So, like, this is bleep or get off the pot. And there's a part of me that feels like if you are doing everything you can, this year is about going all in with Deshaun. We're going to rebuild the offense down from the studs on up. If we're going to go ahead and we're going to actually take it seriously that you need another speed-wide receiver to go with Elijah Moore and Amari Cooper, that actually is as impactful. Actually, finally, you know what, or getting off the pot is as impactful as any concerns about his health. If I sound flummoxed, it's because of the myriad of takes that happen in the studio in the break because uh, Nick Saban has joined ESPN as an analyst and will appear mostly on college game day, but will also appear uh, as part of their draft coverage as well. To which I kind of was like, yeah, okay, it's Nick Saban. Like, we've gotten to a point where they're they're forcing it too much. Like, guys, the resume does not automatically mean the guy's going to be a good analyst. He like, is good, though, Nick. I think he is. Have you yeah, heard him? I, I, he's I, good. I actually think whenever he's popped on, he's been really, really good. Can I, can I set this right, up? This no, you know I your corner now got, because yeah. you haven't watched I got him. Keith no. on my side for this one. Let's no. go. You yeah. won the sphere. I win the Nick Saban Simmer on game down. day. Well, my point is Tom Brady <laughs> becoming the, the number one Fox uh, NFL analyst in the booth without ever having actually done it for a game. That's a scenario where, oh, he's got six rings. Sorry, he's got seven oh, yeah. rings. He must be great at it. So, like, that was my point of reference. I mean, that's... Now, but there's a difference. No, can we stand down on Nick Saban for one damn second? The idea, because it's difference. not the most ridiculous the idea take that I've Greg heard. Olson's going to get demoted just because because he's not Tom Brady is so stupid to me. It is. However, <laughs> the take that enraged me was... I, I don't even have anything for Mel Kuyper. I'm, not, I'm neither a, a Kuyper apologist or a Kuyper hater. But then Mac Robinson in the break goes, Well, I hope it means we can go ahead and take Mel Kuyper off the coverage. And I said, explain yourself. And he said, oh, I just don't feel like he's been as good recently. What the hell does that even mean? I mean, what? Oh, oh, he's, he's, his, uh, his, uh, his take time, it's an extra half second for him to get to the friggin' point. Like, does he not watch as much film? Well, explain how you think Mel Kuyper's lost his no, fastball, ahead, please. Ahead. I think compared to some of the other guys that they have with, with the draft coverage, I think that they have other guys that have a better fastball at this point than uh, Mel Kuyper. Uh, what's a fastball in a draft analyst? I will say, if you base your if you base your grade of a draft analyst off of like how many picks they get right, I know Kuyper like misses a lot, but I don't necessarily think that's like what you're looking that's for. Also, the yeah, dumb I think everybody that's, misses them. Well, that's it's a mock Nick, draft. Nick, it's not like I'm and not these, these jabronis. Real quick, these jabronis. <laughs> oh well, I got ten picks right. Nobody cares. <laughs> Just tell me what this that's, football player does well, you loser. That's my that's my stance. Like you've done the work, so I don't have to watch every snap of Alabama's left tackle. All right, that's the job. <laughs> well, you know, I talk to a bunch of people in the NFL. You mean people who blatantly lie to you and you get things wrong because they lie to you? So no, explain to me where the fastball's lacking with the beautiful helmeted head of Mel friggin' Kuiper Mac Robinson. I'm not over this one.
So when it comes to Mel Kuyper, I just feel like a lot of his thing is the same thing over and over again. I think that you have younger guys that are coming up, like Jordan Reed over there, Matt Miller as well, that they brought in recently. Matt Miller's good. Yeah, I, I think that both of them are able to present it I'm well. Just, I'm not and defending the, the take. What, what, I'm just saying Matt Miller's another good analyst. Explain to me, what, what are they good at? And I like Matt Miller. I like Jordan Reed. But what are we doing here? We're ranking our favorite NFL draft I, analyst? I'm what just, is that about? All I said was he was good. Why am I getting now lumped well, in the box? How do you know he's good? Because I read his draft so coverage every wait, wait. year. Do you read every single scouting report? Is there no, some sort of accuracy but... score of NFL draft analysts that oh, I can go ahead God. and see? Because I need to know... How Mel Kuyper, the man who invented a, a lane, the man invented the lane. He is a, a legend for that. He did invent And yeah. now, so, well, although also, Jordan also, Reed's better. You mean you're just not sick also, of Jordan would Reed Nick yet? Would Nick Saban even have a job at ESPN if it wasn't for Mel Kuyper? Because Mel Kuyper, like ESPN, when they were when they were first coming up, like we know the whole backstory with like Requiem for the Big East and that whole 30 for 30 that they did where like that was how they got, they they found themselves with the putting on Big East basketball games. But Mel Kuyper's one of these guys who, like, what was ESPN before you get, like, a Mel Kuyper who, like, really found this niche that became a big thing in the I draft just, coverage on ESPN? So, I just think I'm surrounded by a couple of ageists. That's what this is. You're just you're, – it's all that Mel Kuyper's – I have nothing and, against Mel Kuyper. I mean, well, clearly you're backing up his take, talking about how all great I Matt Miller is. is. Matt Miller is also good. I didn't say – And then you didn't back up how you think he's good. Because when I've read his draft coverage, I think he has some very insightful things to say. You said that the barometer is that you want people who do the work of watching a lot of the, a lot more of the film than you have time are to you, watch for you. Are you saying Mel Kuyper does doesn't that. do the work? I didn't say anything about I'm not Mel just Kuyper saying, not doing the work. Because you I'm, know you know Matt Miller does the work. Yes, now you're saying – okay. I'm just saying – Along with Mel Kuyper, Matt Miller also does a good job of studying the tape and giving you good analysis on the players that are ending the draft. I'm I, not saying he's better. I'm not saying he's worse. I'm not saying that I don't listen to Mel Kuyper stuff too. All I, I, I'm saying, I only read McShay I just want to get back to the Nick Saban thing. He's the guy that's actually coached against these guys and watch film, so I'd rather hear him. Uh, yeah, yeah. But, but by not, the way, if you but not because he won a bunch of Super Bowls, it has he's nothing to do with that. Good if at anal, yes, uh, if, act, if people have actually yeah. watched him, he's been on in the postseason where Alabama hasn't been in the championship game or whatnot. ESPN has actually brought him on studio shows or pregame shows in the past several times. He's been great. But like people have called for Belichick. Be- no, Belichick Belichick's has that too. Actually good Belichick too. has that too. Did you see the him guys at Army Navy this year? The guys that seem dry are usually decent at TV because then they're willing to just. I don't, I'm not going to hold back anymore. There's no reason. Yeah. Belichick was I'm not on buying the Belichick. Oh, Bel- no, because you haven't Bel- seen him. Belichick did you. game day uh, for Army Navy, and he was like leaning into like a character. He was like playing stuff up. He he put he did like a helmet. What's the he, character? He You've put a seen- helmet on with like with Lee. Like him and Lee both put a helmet on together. And I've actually seen some other stuff of Belichick. Like he did some hit in New England or in Boston for like a news station where each week he'd like break down a play at he one used point. To do the same thing here in Cleveland back in the day. Yeah. He, he would break down plays like when it's about football and he can just talk X's and O's and it's not about like, who's your starting quarterback this week? I'm just on to Cincinnati. Like, I'm really not that anti Saban. I'm just more incensed by the Mel Kuyper take. I, hey, if Nick, because here's the other thing. It is interesting though, because Saban's going to get a lot of hate and people are going to like see this report and roll their eyes and be like, oh, they're just giving this guy a platform because he's Nick Saban. But he's a, he actually is good to Keith's point. Like, he's, he's, I, I enjoy he's I'd say the same thing about Urban Meyer. I think Urban Meyer's really good. He's been good in small until, doses. Until he plays uh, he's been Irby, good in small doses. Wait until, <laughs> we'll wait until Nick Saban uh, has to do a hit every single day. Like, yeah, Rex Ryan was hypothetically pretty okay, and then I have to see him on the TV every okay. day. Okay, Nick Saban and- is not going to be Rex Ryan, who, by the way, interviewed for the Cowboys job, probably having some good foot stories with Jerry Jones out there in Dallas. <laughs> 
I nope. Nah, I'm, I'm not going to do the obvious thing that I could do. I think we should have Rank a fetish your favorite off. feet. We have fetish off <laughs> to be the new defensive coordinator of the Dallas Cowboys, Urban Meyer versus defensive Rex coordinator. Ryan. Well, yeah, no, this is a prestigious position, <laughs> and whoever can really go in depth and break down hey, what, oh, what, well, then, what works for them. We know Urban likes going in depth, new, so. he does. Well, God, I was playing in the shallows there for a moment. <laughs> You know, you do it with that foot, you kick the kicker. Yeah, that's right. You kick the kicker. Uh, Rex Ryan, we I'm not so that sure about that. Of Sons of the Shoe, by the way. All of a sudden, Rex starts looking at Urban's foot. That's a mighty fine foot right there. <laughs> I see why you kicked that kicker. <laughs> hey, you got any video of that? <laughs> we played the Fedor sound earlier in the show where Chris had said last night with Jonathan Peterlin, he had said that you know he it, it, it flummoxes him. He didn't use that word. I just really like that word that uh, Cleveland fans haven't embraced Donovan Mitchell to the same level as other players. And you and I got into whether we agree with that. And I think I was more just, I don't know how to gauge that. And so when we had Chris on, he kind of responded that like one piece of evidence is Donovan Mitchell not getting on the all, not getting voted to the yeah. all-stars. And listen, I think the reality is I'm sure, and we, you and I, when we talked about this earlier, there are people on our social media page, at Nick Wilson says, at Spencey to underscore, because we're just cheap plugging the hell out of this now, <laughs> uh, that were, oh, well, not until he signs an extension. Or, well, he's an assassin, and at this point, he, he you know, he, or he's a hired gun, and he hasn't done enough yet. And I think those are all valid points. What I would say is that's a sign, much like the all-star thing, that I, I don't think it's less anti-Donovan or the, it, it, even more the show me thing, I just think the bar's been raised. And I think we're out of the, the honeymoon phase with these Cavaliers. I think that bubble was burst last year in the playoffs. And I think now, by and large, like I think Cavs fans are really enjoying Donovan Mitchell, but knowing the importance of this year, it is just do it. And I actually think, like I think the last 15 games have done a lot to endear Donovan to Cavs fans because – it's been everything's around him. He's been running the point. His passing game has set up all these great threes. He's still averaging an, uh, an insane amount of points per game. But, like, I do think we're just at a point where, hey, man, it's cool that you need us to show you that, uh, that, that you're going to be able to win a championship or compete for that here. But at the same point, you kind of got to prove it to us, too. I think what some of this comes down to, too, especially with Cleveland fans, and just like historically, I think this can kind of be true. We want people to choose us, mm-hmm. especially in sports. Like, we want to feel like you are ours or you somehow resonate with the city. Like, Jose Ramirez has a one way ticket to free dinner in this town for the rest of his life because he chose us, he took a discount to stay here when he could have got more money on the open market. It's why people now, Francisco Lindor used to be at the top of like the gets Cleveland list. And then when he goes to New York and takes the money and and wouldn't sign here for less, now all of a sudden he's public enemy number one for a period of time. It's the same reason why like Nick Chubb, guy signs an extension here. He very much resonates with the identity of the city. Everybody loves him. Miles Garrett, he did the same sort of thing. I think David Njoku is a guy who has kind of endeared himself to the city with a lot of the, how the last year and, and things have gone for him. Dallas so, is Dallas. Yeah. I, yeah. S- I saw he that, de- David. Yeah. He defended well Cleveland. Done. Yeah, against, against uh, 
one of the bigger markets and one of the more popular markets, yeah. and Micah Parsons trying to talk some smack to him. So, um, like that's the type of stuff that I think really resonates with this fan base. And so to the and, and even when you go, to use the Cavs example, like you go back to LeBron. LeBron was here initially, and we all loved it because of the, yeah, he's from Northeast Ohio, and you have the best player on the planet, so of course you embraced him initially, but then there was always, towards the tail end of his rookie deal, there was those awkward conversations about, well, what does he want to stay in Cleveland? What are they going to do to try to support him? And you always knew that this day was coming, and then he on national TV, not only did he not choose you, he like spit in your face on the way out the door. And so then him coming back, now he officially like chose you, and everybody re- just ignored what happened with the Miami Heat thing and embraced him not, again. Not everybody, but a good yes, deal of people. Everybody was willing to forgive and forget, especially after the title, and it was all water under the bridge because he chose Cleveland. And then he left again, and that, that is what it is. But I think it's the same thing. Like The day everybody universally starts to embrace Donovan Mitchell, and he hasn't. it's not his fault. He's done nothing wrong. He's done nothing but try to embrace the city in every way he could aside from signing on the dotted line saying, I'm willing to stick it out longer term. But until he does that, I don't think Cavs fans will fully embrace him as, or even, I guess, NBA fans in general. is like, he's a Cleveland Cavalier. He's here to stay. He's, he's, he's our guy. I think you're right to invoke the Getzis meter. And this is a town more so than almost any other town that, that I've, I've been around loves the Getzis meter. And moments where they stand for Cleveland because the perception is nobody stands for Cleveland and that there have been people who are ungrateful for what they've done. And I will say real quick, I think that there's certain towns in sports that that is important for. Like, Mm -hmm. I think Cleveland is one. I think Buffalo is one. Some of these smaller markets, like, you know, you people talk all the time about like L.A. is more of like a, a an events town, like the football games. there are just like you know, white collar business people who had a Sunday off and they're like, oh, I'm showing up to this game. It's, it's not the same vibes. There's certain towns where it just matters more and the sports teams matters more, matter more. And I think that's part of the reason why that happens here. And I think it's what makes Cleveland unique and a great city. So I think you're right to invoke the gets us meter. I also think a healthy amount of this is trade agita. I think there are a lot of people afraid that you're going to lose Donovan for nothing. That's really not how the NBA, uh, how this thing's set yeah, up. It's not going to happen. How this is really set up is that if Donovan, whether it's this summer or next summer, says I'm not going to resign with you, and that then it's on the Cavs to to make the decision on when. But when we say don't resign with you, that doesn't mean he's not actually going to resign the contract. What it means is it is not his intention to resign with you and stay the entirety of that contract. And think to what Kevin Durant did in uh, Brooklyn, where he signed the extension and everybody said, oh, we don't have to worry, KD's here. And not a year and a half into that contract, he forced his way to Phoenix. So I so I guess my point is, if, if you're holding out on Donovan Mitchell and embracing him because of trade agita, guys, it will work itself out. We're not we're not gonna maybe feel the way you wanna feel. You might not get back everything yes. you gave up for him, yeah. but you will still get a substantial return. And, 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 and to I'll your point say, too. Real quick with that, yeah. real quick. You're more likely if Donovan says he doesn't want to be here long term, and that's a better way to frame this. You're more likely to get the player that fits best next to Darius Garland yeah. than if Donovan says, Yes, you I, I am gonna stay here, but I need a, a better piece next to me, and you try and trade Donovan for that piece. Like Donovan's worth is of a yeah. top fifteen player, that that's a lot closer to you getting Jalen Brown than if you all of a sudden had to trade Darius Garland for that. Hundred percent. And to your point too, you bring up Kevin Durant, but the same exact thing happened when LeBron left the first time. 
People, all people remember from that experience was he went on TV and he spat in our face and and walked out on us and went to Miami and did it in the most evil way possible, right? That's what everybody remembers from that night. But you forget, like, what happened after that was they had to sign him so he could get the max money, then trade him to Miami, and they got a whole bunch of picks from Miami that actually helped in them getting assets and bringing other players in that help bring LeBron back in the future. So that's context that also matters. Like there's there's no way that this ends with the Cavs getting nothing. It just might end up feeling like you maybe wasted a couple years where you had a superstar top 15 player on your team and you didn't really do much with it. I mean, inevitably, if you've if you've continued to win at this clip and then you get something close to or the exact or more of what you gave up to get Donovan, you didn't waste two years. Yeah. So I, I so I understand well, what you're I saying. I'm just speaking to that idea. To be clear, like I don't blame it all for making the trade anyway. Like it's Cleveland. We just talked about the market and all that. Like, I, you in this town to be bold and make a move like that. Like I would tell them to do that 20 times over, even but if it doesn't result in a championship. I think the mistake they made was they underestimated, or sorry, they maybe overestimated how ready Darius and yeah. Evan were. They to maybe win. jumped the gun. I I brought that up the other day because. You think about the Knicks trading for OG and Anobi. That's been the player the Cavs have needed for three, four years now as a mm-hmm. wing player. And there was reports that a couple of years ago that Toronto didn't really want to trade him, but there was rumors that they might. And it finally came to a head this year where they moved on from him. You think about what you're saying. If you, they had waited a little bit longer, could they have gotten OG and Anobi last year if they hadn't traded for Donovan Mitchell at the beginning of the season and maybe they'd be better positioned? I don't know because they'd still have all those draft picks. It's it's a, it's an interesting question, but I don't blame them at face value for making a trade for a star player. Two one six four seven four double oh nine two. Um, are we holding back with Donovan? Are we not giving Donovan the same kind of treatment that we've given other similarly similar caliber players? There's one way to 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 kind of gauge that, and I I think there's a take that we've heard on the station this week that actually kind of rebuts the we're holding back on Donovan, but Paul is so graciously called us. Paul, welcome to the show, buddy. Hey, Nick. What's up, bud? Hey, hey, hey Nick, I, I, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to light into you a little bit. Um, you've been doing this, and I told the, uh, the screener, uh, you've been doing this since last year. I feel like you're trying to um, run Donovan out of, out of the town. And before you know you my react, power. Before, yeah, <laughs> have you? Can you cite one article where he said he wanted to leave? Please, uh, can you find me one article before Donovan Mitchell asked for a trade in Utah that said he wanted to leave Utah? Well, did, no, I'm talking about Cleveland. Well, no, he but my my point is my 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 greater point here is contracts are the natural. Um, check-in time where you find out how invested a player is in that town. And even if they resign that contract, there's always going to be that because you didn't draft Donovan or until you consistently win with him at a high level. So I understand what you're saying, and I'll be honest with you. I would choose Donovan over Darius tomorrow if Donovan – and by the way, that's an artificial conversation as well – but I would choose Donovan over any other player on this roster tomorrow if he committed to the Cavs because I think he's ready to compete at the highest level now, and I think they need to do everything they can to do. They can't do that until he commits long-term. But the reason why it's a conversation with Donovan 
is he didn't choose Cleveland. And he wants to, and everybody in the NBA, all the national people believe that he inevitably still wants to be in New York, in Brooklyn. And so I, just because, guys, or sorry, Paul, Donovan's not going to come out and say, uh, hey, guys, I no longer want to be in Cleveland. He didn't do that till the, the time in Utah was done. So you have to plan for it. and You have to try and find a way of, all right, where is this thing going? And is this on track to be that five, ten-year run with a spectacular player? Would you agree uh, that his best years, these last two years, have been in Cleveland? I don't know. Statistically, uh, yes. So, so I would say I think he was fantastic in Utah. The guy has been – he's gotten better in the NBA – but, like, the last five years of Donovan Mitchell have been insanely impressive. His, his last two have been the best of his career numbers-wise. Well, yes. but there's Thank some you. reason for Thank that. You. Okay, but what does that have to do? That's not teams winning, Paul. What that has to do, what that has to do is that um, the um, 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 implication that he wants to leave Cleveland, why would you leave a place where you have, you've had your two best teams? So, so your quarrel yeah, really isn't with me. It's with the NBA or with the idea that Donovan is like I, I understand LeBron what you're saying. We got to run. Season of his career, and, and and he left again. And we only have to run because we're kind of up against it there, Paul. Um, I I think we've gotten really soft as a town. I think we had conversations the last three years of LeBron the first time when he was going to leave, and I think LeBron the second time every single year we had the conversation, even when we knew it was. And what the conversation really is to me is not, does Donovan, does Donovan want to be here? The conversation is, are the Cavs willing to do the things that you have to do to go deep into the playoffs to incentivize Donovan to play? If you go to an Eastern Conference Finals this year, guys, I think you have a decent chance of, of keeping Donovan long-term. If you peter out in the first round of the playoffs and get embarrassed again, I'm going to go ahead and say you have uh, close to a 0% chance of keeping Donovan. So it's not as simple. As, I disagree with the national narrative that, well, he just wants to be in New York. You can incentivize him, but now it's on the organization to put him on the table like they did when they traded for him and keep him here. But this idea, because there are a lot of Cavs fans, well, I don't want to talk about that. Okay, guys, then, then you just don't want to deal with reality. The reality is there is a deadline coming up, whether it's this year, next year, whenever, with Donovan, and you've got to win with Donovan. And if you don't want to have that conversation, cool. Don't be pissed if he pieces out. Don't be pissed. Don't be mad at the Cavs. Don't be mad at Sports Talk Radio. We didn't make it happen. All right? This is how the well, NBA I, works. I, if I, you read the tea leaves on how this works, that's the reality of the situation. It's not a Nick problem. It's not a Spencer problem. And every time somebody brings up, they get pissy on social media. They get pissy on this or my, that. Guys, it's the NBA. I didn't invent the NBA. I didn't invent how they do business. I didn't invent how any of these guys do business. It's Donovan's right to choose where he wants to play. He's earned that by being one of the 15 best players in the NBA. But to negate the biggest, well, you know what? I don't want to talk about Donovan Mitchell because I'm scared he might never be good again. Okay, then I'm sorry. I deal with head on. All right? I don't run from the big difficult questions, and I don't think we should either. Yeah, it scares me a little bit Donovan could go somewhere. Yep, and if you got to trade Donovan for four first-round picks and a couple slap asses, yeah, <laughs> it scares me a little bit. But at the same point, then do the business. Do the work. Like, go get a player that makes Donovan stay. Go out there. Win. Hire a coach who can get him where he's going if it ain't JB. But this isn't a media creation. 
This is how the business works. And if you want to be in the business, if you want to be a Cavs fan, if you want Donovan Mitchell in Cleveland, that's how it works. We're talking about uh, Donovan Mitchell love in Cleveland. And I do think it's as simple as, I, I, I think the, the divisional round is kind of the gray area. I, I think if you want to be in the best position to get a yes from Donovan, and I'll be honest with you guys, I think a a firm yes or no this offseason is better than more ambiguity. I think the Cavs, and I, I I don't know that this is a criticism. It might come off as, as some. I think the Cavs have have kind of been in the middle of of building this roster, and I think they've done a good job, you know, with going after Struess and Niang, uh, bringing in Sam Merrill, developing Isaac Okoro, uh, bringing Tristan back this year. Like a lot of their moves this offseason, which I thought at the time were kind of a, ah, eh, we'll talk about it next offseason. A lot of them have worked out, but at the same point, like you can't continue. You're not Boston. Boston for a really long time just said, well, we got, we got Jalen, we got Jason, we're going to be fine. And even Boston about three years ago had to start making difficult moves, having hard conversations, trading Marcus Smart, trading almost everybody around them, trading Malcolm Brogdon this year or, or a couple of years back. Like you're going to get there. And so for a, for a lot of this, as much as I don't want to see anybody on this roster traded because I enjoy watching them play basketball, at some point you have to choose. At some point, it, whether it's Darius or Donovan or Jarrett or Evan, at some point you have to p- use a path forward to continue to progress. Yeah, This offseason feels like the logical point because there's so much pressure on this team to do better than they did last year in the playoffs, which was which I think informs some of some of the alleged Donovan coolness from fans. I, I think that is going to come kind of naturally because depending on what your answer is from Donovan, then you kind of know what, what, what lies ahead. Yeah. That's kind of step one in the process. But I do agree with you that like it, tweaking the roster at some point might be inevitable. Like you might have to make a trade that gets you the one big thing you're missing, which is a wing that can do like the whole three and D thing and make shots for you on one end, but then defend really well on the other end because wing players are dominating the league today. Um, so, and that might happen, but you're in a better situation if you know Donovan's here to make those changes and make the adjustments that you need to and kind of revamp the roster as you go. Um, you kind of need that answer from him first. I just want to say too, like, I understand it's the easy, low-hanging fruit to sit here and blame you or me or whoever's hosting JP tonight, whatever, and say, oh, well, you guys just keep talking about it. You're the reason Donovan's going to leave. Like, you're running him out of town. I think we're kind of all guilty. And I don't mean all, like, all radio show hosts. I mean, like, the whole root of this conversation is that we haven't necessarily appreciated Donovan Mitchell as much as we should have. So I think if there's like, if that's the common theme and Chris Fedor brings up, like we got Peyton Hillis on the cover of Madden, but we're, we can't get Donovan Mitchell to be an all-star. I think we're all to blame if he doesn't feel like he's appreciated here. And I'm not saying he doesn't. And I'm not saying that's the reason he's ultimately going to leave, but I've had that conversation before too, when I've done solo shows, like if, we're adding to that, and, and that's another reason why he's like, eh, I don't really know if I want to be in Cleveland. They haven't appreciated me as much. We're all guilty. It's not just you sitting here behind a microphone or me sitting here behind a microphone. I don't think anybody's guilty. I don't like guys, it's the nat it's the nature of where Donovan is in his career. Well, you but, either but have to I'm help him. Is, like, win it's easy for people to call in and say, You guys are the reason he's not appreciated when it's like 
if you want him to be appreciated, then like we all have to be our, do our part to be. It's not just radio show hosts who are doing. That's I just, my point. I just think the idea that the conversations that happen with us with Donovan are any different than if he had been traded any other place other than New York, it's asinine. Like this is this is how the so when I yeah. say this is how the NBA works, this is how the conversations with the NBA have to work, and fit is always i mean that is the number so fit and and willingness to stay somewhere are the number one and two things you always have to think about and when you can't speak to a perfect fit at both your guard spots and both your big spots it's going to be a natural conversation and when you can't speak to everybody's locked in to be here the next three years not only does that change how you feel about that team going forward, it adds pressure. And sometimes it's purposeful pressure. Sometimes, as we have saw with LeBron, LeBron uses that leverage to make sure that team is giving him every chance to win. And I think the Cavs have probably been more patient than I would have liked to this point. That probably that, that could still work out for them. But they are now putting all their eggs in this basket. And if I, and I don't, if I don't feel like I am certain that they can avoid what happened last year. Then it is that 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 inflection point of that contract and him staying here, that's the conversation we have to have. And that's a conversation they have often in that building because that's how you have to think. And so, like, I personally, I disagree with Chris. Like, I think we've embraced Donovan as much as we can. But I don't think it's even close to what will happen if he does agree to a long-term contract and says he wants to stay here. I don't think it's anything close to what's going to happen if he goes to the Eastern Conference Finals this year, which would be the first time without LeBron you've been in the Eastern Conference Finals since Mark Price was king in town. But these are all things that have to play out. And yes, a lot of the reaction and a lot of the anxiety is built around you gave up an ass load to get him, and it hasn't paid off to this point. The roster does not fit what the rest of the NBA values as of right now, which it doesn't have an elite wing. And last year, because you blew it by by getting gentlemanly swept at home as the four seed, now this year it is all or nothing. And that's an uncomfortable position to be in when you know how the NBA works. JP last night. I'll find night, the people that agree with me. Don't worry. At, uh, at, I'm going to be on Reddit tonight. At 8 o'clock, uh, started – Kind of responding to and referring to Rick Pitino's tweet the other day, and and Rick now at St. John's now just this side of decrepit went on this kind of long tweet binge about how uh, you know college athletics needs a salary cap, and it sounds sure sounds like from this clip JP agreed with him. Have the Power Five and Big East Conference commissioners get together and create a salary cap between $1.5 to $2 million, all contracts delivered to the league and the school. That's the one that I think I like the most. Maybe not the $2 million. Maybe it's 10 maybe it's 15 maybe it's 20 This, though, is the change football and college basketball needs. Hear me out. The NIL world doesn't work. And Ohio State is part of the reason that it doesn't work. I'm not here to rip on Ohio State in the process, but Ohio State is part of the reason it doesn't work. Caleb Downs came to Ohio State. All they had to do was drop the bag at his doorstep. He didn't like Ohio State. I don't know if he ever even considered Ohio State ever, but Alabama didn't offer him the bag, and here he is. 
Ohio State bought their future success in a way that we've never seen before, and the competitive balance has been completely ripped away, and that's fine. I don't begrudge Ohio State for having the boosters to do this. My problem is not with Ohio State trying to right a wrong from pretending the NIL was the boogeyman. My problem is why is Ohio State making money hands over fist and we're the ones left holding the receipt for a five-star cornerback. All right, so I want to start with, in the beginning there, you heard him. He was kind of referencing that Patino structure of a salary cap. One, can we all consider the source? Because I'm not, I can't go to the moral uh, authority on Rick Patino, given the fact that he went hand in hand with the Bagman for 20 years, and <laughs> not just a Bagman. Yeah, either. like well, yeah, and then there was this spaghetti restaurant that you know. <laughs> remain forever unclean. There was some bag women involved as well. (laughs) Different type of bag, though. Yeah. Um, But the reality is, I think Rick Pitino's a fraud on this. I think Rick Pitino... I I just... I'm so sick of hearing about things like salary caps and these clarion calls about, oh, we got to fix it. So that's number one. Well, real quick, where, where, where he comes from, Pitino, is the same place that... Nick Saban's retiring. It's 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 all the same thing. It's yes, it's these it's old, old men who've been it's here these for fifty older years. School coaches that grew up with it. And, and listen, I'm not begrudging Nick Saban for retiring if he wants to retire because it's not for him. All due respect, you have earned the right to do that. You've won national championships. You are undisputably the goat coach of this sport. But it's coming from that same era. It is guys who have been in this game for a long time, and they don't like that the game is changing. And therefore, they have to change their strategies, their philosophies, the way they do things. It's like the old saying: "You can't teach an old dog new tricks." It's the exact same thing. They In don't this case, have to- it's the it's the it's the old dog doesn't want to learn the new tricks right. and thinks the games you're trying to get them to play are exactly. stupid. So, I, it, to me, you lump all these people together. It's Dabo, it's Nick Saban, it's Rick Pitino. It's all the people who don't want to embrace the new era because it's not what they're used to and what they like. Also, if Rick Saban was at Georgia, he probably feels different <laughs> than if he was at St. John. But also, uh, Rick Pitino throwing out $1.5 million to $2 million as a salary cap, that's one college football player. I was going to say, with, with like, Lane Kiffin's out here like, oh, Ohio State spent like $13 million. Like, okay, that's so that's one player. Yeah, and by the way, uh, Lane and, Kiffin and the also point, had more players in the portal, just pointing that isn't out. Isn't the point of the NIL stuff that there is, like, you're not trying to cap the money that these kids can make? Isn't that where this all came from? Was that... The kids weren't getting any of the money, and yeah. now they actually can get money. So now you're going to tell them, well, now you can only make somewhere in the range of one to two million. Well, although we want to spread that across ten players, so but it's this more is, like a hundred thousand. That's the whole point. This is about control, right? This yeah. is about we don't like an era. Another thing we talked about, and on like Sons of the one Sheet, of the other it. thing that Rick Pitino talked about was, well, they should have a two-year contract, and that locks them in for two years, which is so disingenuous that a guy who is at Iona left to go be the head coach at St. John's, wants to talk about guys breaking contracts and the importance yeah, of contracts. So I just think it's far uh, – listen, it's a non-starter hearing what Rick Pitino had to say. But there were two things that, that JP said that I just vehemently disagree with. The first one was when he weed this situation where he's like, I mean, Ohio State football is making all this money and we got to pay it. When – I have not consent. Uh, I've not put one cent into NIL. Uh, I like. I don't know any Ohio State fan who sent like a five dollar check to Gene Smith and said, "Give me a good cornerback, Gene." Like this, we stuff is for the birds. The people who are uh, spending this money and fundraising are the boosters and guys. They've been doing this for forty years. It's just now yeah. all out in the open. 
Yeah. So this idea of, oh, we're all of a sudden paying the freight here. Well, those people who are the boosters have been paying the freight, and now it's on the up and up, and now players actually have some sort of freedom. Which brings me to my final point, and the point that I do think like I'm gonna need to start people. I'm gonna I'm gonna need to people for them to start showing their work on the NIL world doesn't work because uh, in terms of parity, in terms of what yeah. it means for college football. Because last I checked, three years into the NIL, four years into the NIL, for the first time in four years, in, for the first time in a decade in the playoffs, we actually had more playoff teams than we had playoff spots. So for the first nine years of the playoffs, it was three teams, and then uh, I should we let Michigan State in? Like, what can we justify? Who can we justify putting in? For yeah. most of the time, you haven't had four teams. This year, you had legitimately seven teams that had claims and rightful claims to be in the postseason. You left three teams on the outside looking in. That, to me, is parity. Yeah. So parity's never been better. I mean, and yes, it's going to hurt Boston College. It's, it's going to hurt Bowling Green. Guys, Bowling Green had problems losing players to other schools 10 years ago. It was tough to recruit yeah. against Alabama and Ohio State 10 years ago. So what this? It, so nothing I has mean, changed uh, other yeah. than it's all above board and players have more power. Alabama getting sort of knocked down a peg this past year where they weren't just the juggernaut, or really the last couple of years where they weren't just this juggernaut program that was better than everybody, I think speaks to the fact that there is a little bit more parity than there's been. You look around the the the, the, uh, the landscape of college football, I know we've hit on this before, but Duke has a five-star quarterback starting for them next year. It's the first time in the history of the program they've ever had that. Like, you're seeing it sort of spread out. And to your point, I don't know what the – like, all these people who are referencing – it's not just JP, so I'm not going to just single him out here. But all the people who are referencing, well, this is breaking college sports because the rich are just getting richer and they're just going to take all the players. Where The sport that you are – sobbing and whining about changing and how, oh, this is, woe is me. College football is going to hell in a handbasket because my sport is changing. Where were you the previous four, five, six decades where this stuff was going on? Guess what? The rich were always getting richer then too. It's just you didn't see it happening. The $100 handshakes on, on the, street of, the streets of Columbus. You didn't see that stuff happening because it wasn't out in the open. Now it's out in the open and you just hate the ugliness of it, but you don't actually hate the, the mindset behind this all happening because you've lived with it for all these years. So what's changing is really just now we know how much money's getting thrown and, around. And That's by the it. way, I don't buy, you know, Keith's a Michigan fan. I don't buy a Michigan fan gives a damn about what happens to Toledo. I don't, I don't buy, oh, we got to really think of, guys, every year there's going to be about four teams in the conversation for a 12-team playoff. And also, and every year there have been about four teams that were good enough, and every year, like, that number has not changed. In this case, we talk all about the best players at Alabama, uh, as the best players at Tulsa going to Alabama. Well, what about the guys that aren't getting playing time in Alabama that then go to Tulsa? Because that's also yeah. happening and giving guys a chance to play who haven't played previously. And I actually think the NIL paired with the transfer portal is what makes the parity a thing. Like, I, I think the transfer portal is actually allowing for more parity even than the NIL stuff because some of these guys are like, well, I there's other opportunities out there and I'm going to go here and at least make some money if I'm not – like, it, I, I just think there's more opportunities to be had. I also think, too, the question of parity – to your point, yes, this year we had the first time for the first time multiple teams as you could argue should have been in the top four. It felt like there was a lot more of that. 
But can we really say there's no parity until we get to this 12-team? Like, the 12-team playoff should be the ultimate form of testing how much parity there really is in college football. If it's just the top four teams advancing every year, fine. Then we have to revisit the conversation. But if you're seeing some of these teams that have to play in the first round and they advance on and maybe they're in the semifinals, then we can have a different conversation. So I, I'm just not buying that it's it's so woe is me. It's just history repeating itself. That's all it is. I just like, to me, to circle back to, to Jonathan in the we comment, we are now paying for it. That is like when somebody in Ashtabula County says, my tax dollars aren't going to fund that new NFL stadium. You're right. <laughs> They're not. Because that's not how your taxes work for the city of Cleveland in a, in a municipality that you're not in. Now, but if, this uh, is the crocodile if, tears. Like like Jonathan was going to have to start uh, homing uh, Lindenwood, uh, <laughs> uh, what the hell, where did, uh, bowling uh, uh, D1 athletes. Uh, crocodile tears, I say. Crocodile tears. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.